Hi, and welcome back to Beers with Buds. I'm your host, Andrew Friedman, the Cannabis Sommelier. I'm joined here by Mackenzie Puttisi, the Traveling Psalm. Happy to have you here, Mackenzie. Thank you. Good to be here. Do you prefer Mac, Mackenzie? Uh, the Psalm, the Traveling Psalm? Mac or Mackenzie? Whatever you like. I'm going to go with Mac. Okay. I like that. I like nicknames for everybody. Sounds good. So, uh, thanks for being here. Why don't you just tell everybody about yourself? Just start talking about yourself, because that's the best thing to do. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, the Traveling Psalm's kind of my online handle um because before getting into the psalm world and wine world i was doing a lot of traveling i taught english abroad and lived in latin america europe traveled in asia a bit of africa uh so that's always been a passion uh but what was really cool is that as i traveled i also got to taste a whole bunch of wine and spirits and different things locally so i've been in like south africa italy france i've been to turkish wineries romanian wineries went down to latin america uh so it was always more of a hobby but then when i moved back to canada i got into kind of serving in fine dining and went down the rabbit hole of wine, did some courses. And then this past August, I finally got my certified level uh, Court of Master Psalm certification. So that was nice. Uh, and then for the past three years, I've been based in Toronto doing a bunch of wine tours to the Canadian wine regions, Niagara and Prince Edward County, and doing some different like food, drink and spirits tours and tastings in the city as well. Awesome. Just for everybody, uh, we're on the we're we're in central western interior Canada right now. Uh, Max from really cool Toronto. So what can I say? It gets rubbed in a little bit, but the Leafs aren't very good. Go Flames, go! Means absolutely nothing to everybody listening in America because the NHL is basically null and void there. But uh, I'm sure that's the same in South Africa or Latin America when you're traveling. Tell me about tell tell me about like where you, where you ended up. Why did you decide to go teach English? I assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where did you end up first? So my first like big contract job was actually in Moscow. I was there for a year. Cool. And really it just I kind of had the travel bug and I'd done some big trips to like Southeast Asia and a few things and I was like, "Oh, well I'm I'm saving up money for months and then I go blow it on a 6-month tr- or a 6-week <laughs> trip or something like that." And so I said, well, what can I do where I can travel and make money at the same time? And so I got into doing some English teaching. And so the first kind of big contract I landed was in Moscow. And then I worked two summers at this kind of French summer camp uh, that was English immersion for French kids. And did that before and after, did some backpacking in between contracts. And then I got to transfer from the school in Russia down to Latin America because they have different branches all over all over the world really but they're london based like okay london, same England. company yeah it's called international house so i was working for them in moscow and then they have this system where once you're in the in the school they'll kind of advertise new jobs to their current teachers and then if they can't find enough people then they'll open it up to the mass market of teachers but oh, that's cool yeah so i transferred from there down into latin america and costa rica first and then that school they closed that branch down for whatever reason. And then I went down into Ecuador. And then after that, I did a bit of traveling in Latin America, like Argentina, Uruguay. Uh, and then I came back up to Canada. And I've been mostly kind of based in Toronto since then. But very always, cool. always try and keep traveling every year. So That's super cool. And you're a young dude, too. So when yeah. did you start teaching English? I would have been like 
probably 21 when I got the first job. Very cool. Did you go to university to be a teacher? Did you go to school at all or anything like that? I actually did a conservatory theater program. I cool. was like going to get into acting and all that jazz. And then I always plan to go back to it. And I just never did because... That's why we'll make content now. You can just be anybody you want to be. Exactly. You get to be an actor. Right? Yeah. So, but I mean, everything kind of worked together because, you know, in terms of presenting, running a tour and showing people a good time, that takes part of your kind of speaking and theater experience and the teaching. If you're teaching about wine or teaching about some specific product, um, you know, it all, all these kind of initially seemingly like unrelated skills kind of worked in in some way together like, right because oh, in uh in, uh, the wine region you work in uh there's a lot of asian tourism right like, the, like yeah. a lot of chinese people come uh to the niagara region because ice wine is so popular yeah um so i'm sure you tour a lot of uh tourists around in the summer is and i'm sure being in around and immersed in other cultures really helped you uh translate to those yeah. people no it totally does and like i mean on one hand there's that kind of linguistic familiarity but there's also even just being able to talk to people right because like if you're in the car with someone for an hour on the highway getting down to the region from the city um yeah, you need to talk about something and sometimes you talk about wine sometimes you talk about really anything that comes up and you know if you've been to their country or their region or you speak their language to some degree people are excited about yeah that. yeah there's always this kind of fun um breadth of conversation that can be explored so how many times i always find this so weird when i'm traveling lately uh i'm the first canadian a lot of people have met which mm. is so weird to me did you have that experience a bunch uh were you, I don't know. I'm always so proud. When I go around, I'm like, yeah, I'm from Canada. Hey, what's up? I'm Andy from Canada. There you go. People love it, though. Honestly, I've never been a place where where people are, don't have a good initial idea of what Canadians are like. Like, they're always like, oh, Canada, like, beautiful country or nice people. So, I mean, we've got a great calling card to carry around with us. Like, almost everywhere I go, they're like, oh, we love Canada. Like, well, what do you know about Canada? And even if they know nothing, right. they're like, oh, we love you. So, Toronto! Yeah. Vancouver! Right? And so... We're in uh, Calgary. They're like, what's Calgary? I'm like, the Calgary Flames. They're like, I don't understand yeah. what you're saying. A lot of people know Banff because it's That's like true. on the front of every travel book for Canada because it's just gorgeous. Like Banff, Jasper. That's true. It's, uh, we get a lot of... Uh, Australian tourists, Japanese tourists, German tourists, um, anybody that wants to. It's, it's amazing. I, lo I love the winter. I used to be an avid snowboarder. I spent oh, a yeah. ton of time in Banff, uh, mountaineering, and the parties you end up with, it's like it's basically like uh, Australia immigrates into Banff, mm. um, and then it's just lined with German and Japanese tourists taking fantastic pictures in front of mountains. <laughs> I, I love it. Everybody's always ready to party, and I tell people, Anytime you, if you're going to come to Canada, if you're going to come visit, come in the dead of winter mm. and come to the Rocky Mountains because Canada's, you know, it's cool. It's beautiful, especially on the coast, but interior Canada, um, it, it's like a lot of places in the world, unless it's minus 40 and you're in six feet of snow, then you're like, holy crap, I'm in Canada. <laughs> Why did I come here? What, what did I do? I didn't expect this. Yeah. I need some beer. So, uh, what are we, oh, yeah. we're drinking, uh, from Dandy Brewing Company. So this is a Calgary, uh. Calgary Brewery, their Baltus von Tassel. It's a cherry sour. Um, great, great brewery. I think they opened their doors. I've done so many videos about them, so they're going to be mad if they listen to this. I think they opened their <laughs> doors in 2014. Uh, I really, they really specialize in sour. So cheers. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to try this.
Smells like cherry coke. More that Bing cherry kind of cursey flavor underneath. The yeah. sour's nicely in balance. Yeah, it's not too sour. Like it's refreshing. It makes you salivate. But I've had some sours where it's almost like ooh, like someone's kombucha left too long, and it's ooh. like gonna burn your t- taste buds. So now this is it's got like a nice malty undertone, like almost like a little bit of a a brown toast, but then you've got that kind of nice round cherry. Yeah, totally. What are they saying about with rich brown color, notes of stone fruit, and assertive tartness? This American style brown sour is destined to be a dandy classic. Dandy. Much like the jovial Terrytown farmer, this beer brings a little celebration to the time of year when the air is crisp and the leaves begin to turn. Pair with rich cheeses, bold stews, roasted game, or some dank OG Kush. <laughs> what? Is that on the bottle? Uh, no, but that's a cannabis sommelier recommendation. Mm. The, this one, um, if you've got cherry pie, sunset sherbet, uh, pink panties, any of those kind of Sherbinsky cookie fam strains for you weed nerds listening, um, that's that's definitely what I would do with this. But this is a very seasonal ale, so the only way you're drinking is if you come and visit me in Calgary, because I got another one stashed away. You guys got to do it. Got to do it. It's awesome out here. Great cannabis, great thing. So tell me about, uh, you know, it's beers with buds. So we're drinking a beer. Tell me about your experience with with buds. What was uh, what's cannabis like for you? Um, well, to be honest, I'm a bit of a novice. So um, you know, previously, cannabis was not legal. So if you were to come across it, it was like, oh, well, let's try it. You know, you don't really know what exactly you're going to be getting, uh, and so. Maybe you have a friend that always gets some from somewhere and you, there's some consistency there. But uh, now it's kind of interesting because I can go to a dispensary and actually get a little more information and uh, explore levels of CBD, THC, different strains, and even the terpenes. Like, that's so cool for me. The first time I went to a shop in Edmonton, actually, I was there for a wedding and they had these little boxes. You can pop open this plastic or rubber plug and smell it and you're like oh wow like i can actually smell the difference um so that kind of blew my mind i was like this is cool so i don't know i'm still a a baby figuring it all out but i'm curious to explore it and see uh how to integrate it into drinks and uh cooking and all that kind of stuff no it's super cool and everything's so strain indicative you touched on the uh the sample boxes if you guys haven't been into a dispensary in canada uh, cannabis has to be leashed and unaccessible. Um, you have to guarantee that uh, the customer cannot touch it or leave the store with it. So it's in kind of a, a, a clear plastic box with a, if you could imagine like a spice container um, mm-hmm. that opens where you dash the spices out of. That's exactly what it looks like. But I find all those samples are getting old. You know, mm. as soon as you, uh, what three days later and it's and it's uh the smell's gone but that's cool that you notice the terpenes i love talking about terpenes because people are always amazed that when i say uh cannabis and wine are the same thing they're made of terpenes flavonoids um an intoxicant Mm. and water but with wine we press it right away to bring the water out and we hang dry cannabis to get rid of that water okay um yeah they're 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 so identical and that's why pairing is is so cool but when you touched on terpenes like um my, I always say the nose knows, and you know, when you smell a great wine, you're like, wow, this is going to taste fantastic. You smell a great beer, um, but it's it's kind of hard sometimes with cannabis because 
again, all the, the recreational samples are getting kind of old. And without terpenes, uh, that's really what dictates uh, your your cannabis consumption experience, how you become intoxicated. Uh, and everybody should know that in the dispensary, they can't offer you any advice about how you're going to feel. Uh, and, and they're also not like super educated. Um, but terpenes, how, how fragrant it smells, the complexity of the smell is like uh, the modifications of your car. Hmm. And THC is like the type of car you bought. You could buy a 30% THC that doesn't smell like anything at all. And we'll call that a 1986 Ferrari that some dude daily drove and left in his driveway all through the winters. Um, but you could get a 16% THC that absolutely reeks and is so complex in its bouquet. And, um, you know, that's a that's a Civic that's running 12 seconds on the quarter mile. Um, it, it, it's going to go faster than the Ferrari. And uh, you might even look a little bit cooler because it's not an old kind of yeah. rusty Ferrari. Does that make sense? I don't know. That's kind of like a weird uh, way to run around it. <laughs> I know what you mean though. Cause like, it's like anything like you, you keep an ingredient, even like you go to a spice store. If you pick up a spice, if you take fresh nutmeg and you grate it on your eggnog, it's going to be awesome. But if you take like your mom's 10 year old cheap dollar store or like, you know, yeah, it's oxidized. Yeah, right? It's, it's been sitting there forever. It's not fragrant. It's not moist. And so, especially with cannabis, I mean, again, figuring it out, discovering it. But I can I can definitely see what you're saying, that if the bud's been sitting in the box for like three days, and you open it, it smells like, oh, that smells amazing, and like really rich aromas. And then a year later, if they haven't changed those out, it's going to be... It's a dud. Yeah. It's just like that dusty bottle of Everclear sitting on the shelf that nobody really wants until Christmas when they're going to make limoncello for some reason and try and get their family drunk. <laughs> My cousin was saying that's great for disinfecting your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. We're also drinking some wine. So one thing I'd love for you to do is if you want to taste your wine, smell your wine, and I have some essential oils here. Uh -huh. This is Super Silver Haze. Okay. And I think this one uh, is very complex. This is an essential oil, and it's got a lot of fragrant aromas. So maybe just try your wine like a normal okay. – like you'd normally taste your wine. You've, you've tasted, we've, had a, we've had a glass before we came on. you know, you got to get warmed up. Um, and, then, uh, and then smell this super silver haze mm -hmm. side by side with the wine and really dig in and try and confuse your senses. And um, you can even taste the wine side by side and really go quick. And uh, you can even taste your wine and then smell it and see how the wine will change uh, on your palate as you sniff it. Just because we can only taste salty, sweet, sour, bitter, umami, but we smell all these complex aromas and uh, Riesling we're drinking a Riesling 2012 Riesling from Kettle Valley Winery in the Naramata Bench in British Columbia um, Riesling with a little bit of residual sugar is the absolute best for any of these uh, kind of limonene rich uh, hmm. uh, essential oils interesting so this essential oil is how would you use this we put it in a uh, we put it in a vaporizer so okay. I, got, I got the Puffco Peak mm -hmm. right here and uh well, you know what? I'm going to have a puff. So tell, just tell everybody more about your cool uh, tour business in Toronto. Plug yourself in. Let them know all your handles too right here. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've got a few things going on. So the, the tour company is called New World Wine Tours. And 
NewWorldWineTours.com and Instagram. It's all the same, New World Wine Tours. Uh, but essentially, New World Wine can be anywhere in North America, South America, or debatably kind of re-emerging regions of Europe. But um, yeah, the cool thing is that we've been growing grapes in Ontario since like the 1800s, but it really wasn't until kind of the 70s that we cleaned things up, started growing only vinifera for the most part a few acceptable hybrids and uh kind of getting world-class wine makers and equipment into the region so uh yeah it's really neat to show off that it's a cool climate region i think for a long time people were like oh well we want to be california and you can't be california when your weather's not california weather so uh finally you get a lot of people embracing the terroir and the climate and saying oh this is what we make best and we're really starting to make some really impeccable world-class wine um so that's kind of the 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 impetus for it all is just showing off these kind of hidden wineries because a lot of stuff's not exported outside of the province or the country mm -hmm. and so unless you're there on their doorstep able to taste what they've got for you it's like how are you going to get it uh, so we also do, do some different like food and drink tours with some local restaurants and cocktail bars and some awesome stuff like that. And just recently launched a new site called eatingthroughto.com. And so that is a free resource for people living in the city and checking out Toronto. So we're just highlighting some really awesome dishes, some awesome chefs and restaurants. And uh, we're also going to be offering some kind of one-off food events and food tours over the next while. So Also, we're going to do a, a cannabis and wine dinner is what you're saying. I think we could talk about that. Awesome. <laughs> we're yeah. going to crush it. I love that you're highlighting New World Wines. I love that your company's called New World Wines. If uh, you're listening, you don't know much about me. I'm a Canadian wine scholar, and I'm obsessed with Canadian wine. And one of the things you said really touched a soft spot is that you can't get Ontario wine here. Ontario makes phenomenal, phenomenal wines, especially the Riesling. I'm just obsessed with mm. Ontario Riesling. Some really good stuff. Niagara on the Lake, Prince Edward County, just incredible stuff. Um, but it doesn't, it, it's not here because nobody's going to buy it here. We're in Western Canada and there's no way that our money is going uh, out east. And that's really the reason why it's not being imported. Yeah. And that, and it sucks because I, I, I have to fly. And it's incredibly expensive to fly to Toronto from Calgary uh, to try these wines that I I remember and love. Uh, but you know, I guess I guess it's the cost of uh, getting there. You can't. It's not. I can't get all the Burgundy I want here either. Yeah. So you know, I guess life could be worse. Yeah, and little by little, I mean, I know they're kind of relooking some trade deals, like within like interprovincial trade of alcohol and other goods. Do you think cannabis changed that? Because now you have free trade of cannabis across the country? I think that's part of it. Because I think, you know, why why are we promoting wines that are coming from abroad and giving them almost special treatment and cuts in terms of the distribution and the taxation when we can't even, like, I scratch the back of the Western Canada, the Eastern back and forth. It's like... It's so rare to find a BC wine in Ontario. Maybe you can find two on the shelf, and I can find more like Georgian wine um, that you can't even pronounce the name of. And trust me, I want all the wines at my at my fingertips. The more, the merrier. Totally. But it's it's almost counterintuitive. We're like we've got this country creating great wine, and uh, we've got some of the best barley and grains in the world, producing amazing beer, and 
same thing. Like I've never seen Dandy Brewery in Ontario because probably the same thing. It'll cost them three bucks a bottle to ship it over there, and no one's going to want to spend an extra three dollars a bottle for this beer when when they could buy an Ontario beer, a local yeah. beer, support their local economy. Yeah, and it's crazy to think Canadians are actually kind of bad at supporting canadians sometimes uh yes. it depends on the industry but california actually uh per dollar buys more canadian wine than canadians do yeah that's something that we have to fight a lot to promote in ontario even people they'll get this this wine on the menu you know maybe 80 bucks a bottle from california you can get one for 65 from ontario same grape debatably same quality depending what style of wine you like and the, oh, I'd never buy an Ontario wine. And you're like... Because there's an illusion that it's all Baco Noir. Yeah, and it's not. like That's bad, bad stuff, by the way. It's about the equivalent of Marshall Foch. And that means absolutely nothing, especially if you're not a Canadian wine nerd. But they're terrible, and it has a bad rap. Mm. Yeah, so it's just, you know, I think it's... Everyone involved in the industry needs to work together to kind of promote that. Because, say, oh, you know, we've got this great wine, but unless people are willing to go out and buy it and drink it... Um, you know, you're you're not convincing anyone, and so that's part of with the New World Wine Tours is like whether it's international people or locals taking people out there, getting them to try wines not only from big wineries that have beautiful facades and all this stuff, yeah, but little tiny tiny wineries owned by families or boutique right. winemakers. Like we were just talking about uh, the Jackson Triggs versus Hinterbrook. Yeah, yeah, know? exactly right. Because like these are some of these wineries. Maybe they make they have a portfolio of six or twelve wines, mm -hmm. and maybe only one or two of those are large enough scale production to get onto the shelves of the LCBO. Right, because most places are ten thousand cases. Like the the small to medium size wineries, ten thousand cases. You're finally making money. You're supporting your family. Scaling above that takes a lot more space, a lot more tanks, a bottling wine in house. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I think there is there is kind of a, a plateau for that local winery but do you think it's you know labor costs are pretty expensive here i worked yeah. on a winery they paid me really good they insured me that was nice of them um do you think one of the things that deters somebody is just the price of canadian wine like even at the cellar door you see it 20 to 30 dollars a bottle but when you were in argentina yeah you know, it's not 20 to 30 dollars a bottle no. at the cellar door um and there's this perception that a california wine at 80 dollars is a much more prestigious wine but what they don't understand is that was probably harvested by, um, you know, very nice Mexican workers. By the way, I lived with two Mexicans when I worked in Canada. But it was probably, you know, farmed by underpaid uh, Mexicans and then over-oaked in cheap American oak. Yeah. And, and, and then sent up at a poor dollar valuation. And what you're paying for is this thought that it's, it, it's good because it's from California where this Canadian, you know, hired uh, the same Mexicans but paid them... 10 times as much supported their family and um you know gave a nice guy like me the opportunity to come learn but our wine is the equivalent price but it doesn't it's not prestigious because like you said we started growing in the 80s yeah uh real vitis vinifera and actually trying to get on the map and here we are f almost 50 years later and people are still laughing yeah 40 years sorry has hasn't even been 50 years and that's i, I can understand that's why we're new world right it's yeah. it's not anything crazy but what people don't get is the pinot noir coming out of uh the niagara region is incredible the riesling is the first place it landed in uh 
in Canada. You know, yeah. Toss Vineyards, Maury Toss, he kills it. He, the, the guy's incredible. I would Keeps debatably f- say, like, in the New World, Niagara has the best Riesling. Um, yeah, well, the Okanagan has the best Riesling. Well, no, I'm just that, kidding. That <laughs> might be true, but I've had so few uh, opportunities to try them other than this one, the we'll lovely to, one we'll we're have to do a today. wine exchange. Yeah, I absolutely. think that'll be the thing. We'll send them across the country, even though... <clears throat> It's illegal to do this, uh, but I, you just censored, have to lie. Censored, 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 <laughs> censored. Yeah, I sent beer out for Christmas presents, and uh, the lady at the post office started asking a lot of questions when she's shaking it. Mm. And I was like, oh, they're, they're glass statues I made for my friends. And she's like, oh, they're very heavy. And I was like, yeah, that's because they're glass statues. Well, I bring like a case of craft beer to my brother like every Christmas because he can't get it here. Yeah, you fly with it? Yeah, I just like add an extra bag. Fragile pretty much yeah because it's crazy that they don't let you take it on the plane i hate that i've given away so many bottles mm-hmm. just like oh shit it's in my bag yeah 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 you but... always make the west jet ladies day though <laughs> that's true without like, a doubt. free bottle no it's uh yeah no every every time and especially when you buy good juice yeah they're like oh thank you so much yeah don't worry about it. I got you. Thank you for working hard. I appre- I appreciate you. Yeah, totally. I wouldn't give it to an Air Canada employee though. Oh, I'm laying that. Know. I'm laying that smack down. WestJet or nothing. All right, all right. What are you flying home? Get Air Canada. Oh, <laughs> Sucks to be you. Honestly, I don't notice a huge difference. Um, both have been pretty good overall. I'm really lucky though. I rarely get like flight delays or issues. So West not, a Calgary company. Wood, That's why I support. Like these are the things. This is the like we talked about supporting local. Yeah. These are one of my crazy things. Calgary company, WestJet's a Calgary company. We used to do business with them at the last place I consulted wine yeah. with. We got fleet wide on WestJet because we were a Calgary company, mm. and now I'm just a. Yeah, I always have a great experience there. I don't know why they started taking the movies out of the headrest, though. I do like now, I, I've been flying a lot lately, and they actually let you, they give you the app, and they're like, yeah, the movies are free now on oh, the yeah. app. You can use the Wi-Fi. Before, it was like, yeah, connect to our Wi-Fi, then pay $11, and then you can watch our movies. It's such an interesting model. I flew Alaska Airlines for my first time uh, to Chicago. Oh, really? Couldn't even cross my legs. <laughs> for, for everybody that doesn't know, I'm six foot four, and um, it was it was rough. <laughs> I can imagine, but why would Alaska Airlines be going from here to Chicago? Um, I had to I had to go to Seattle, okay, uh, and then uh, Seattle to Calgary, huh. but all Alaska. Hmm. Interesting. Actually, the last flight was WestJet. That okay. was great. They treated me like a king. There you go. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Everywhere else, they don't want to give me pretzels and cookies. Like I don't know how, what I'm asking for. Is it too much? No. No, I didn't think so. It's like ah, you gutted me on this. $700 flight. Right, and now you can't even get a free checked bag, so pretzels and cookies. Yeah, hook It's me like up. a consolation prize. I didn't know uh, Illinois had a bunch of wine. I was just learning about that. Like, I, it's what's really cool about running tours is you're meeting people from all over the world. So right. we get a lot of people from the States, but also, like, um, China, Korea, Japan, and the UK, some Australians as well. Actually, US tourists, though? Yeah, a lot. Does that a sound lot. Ignorant. I'm like, why would anybody from the U.S. ever come to Canada? I think it's a mix. Like, we get like some people where it's close enough they can almost drive up, and then others, it's like, oh, we wanted to check out a flight from a lot of U.S. cities for you know 250 bucks round trip. Uh, so 
it's almost cheaper sometimes for them to fly up into Toronto than it is for Western Canadians to get to Eastern Canada and oh, vice versa. All the all the time. Yeah. All the time. It's it's it blows my mind flight fares inside Canada. Like mm-hmm. uh even just to Vancouver, you know, I can drive in ten hours. Yeah. And it's four hundred bucks if I book ahead. If I book late, it's gonna cost me six hundred dollars to come see you. Yeah. It's eight or nine hundred dollars. Like that's that's brutal. But I guess we are Canadians, so our dollar's worth about, you know, tw- what, 20 cents less than an American dollar? Yeah, but, at the moment. So that kind of sucks. Yeah. But uh, I want to ask, I've been, I really want to try Finger Lakes Riesling. Okay, okay. Have you got to try any? I've had a couple. Because um, it's close to you. Yeah. See, this is so crazy. Regionality is, is insane. Like I haven't, lo- I haven't had a chance to go do a Finger Lakes trip, but I'm actually looking into it. So awesome! We should maybe collaborate. I have some guys interested. I have some really cool people in New York. We could do an amazing dinner in New York, and then drive up there and do another setting at like a cottage mm. or like a very cool whatever overlooking something amazing. I'm into it. I'm sold. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's not that far from you know you go down to Niagara from Toronto. It's like hour twenty minutes, and then over from the Finger Lakes tack on a few hours but i mean it's it's like a day or weekend trip away so beautiful yeah beautiful you just have to go into the states i worry every time i go in oh i guess you should (laughs) yeah nowadays it's like all the they're like uh, all along the highway there's these sides it's like no cannabis at the border no cannabis at the border like so last time i went that gets a chuckle out of people i went to do a, a dinner with manny mendoza herbal notes in chicago great guy love him uh but they were like <clears throat> so at, 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 at the airport they're like well, why are you coming to the u.s and i'm like oh i'm going to do a dinner with my my chef friends he's like you're coming to chicago for a dinner and i'm like yeah my friend is a really great chef and asked me to come and i'm going to eat and stay with them for the weekend and this guy's like looking at me and i'm like oh shit they're not gonna let me in the united states what should what should i have said mm-hmm. and um he let me in which was great. Thank you, America. I loved it there. Yeah, For anybody listening, for the Border Patrol agent that's listening, uh, I, I love America. Uh, America is absolutely phenomenal. The cannabis is so good. The cannabis culture is so far ahead. Illinois cannabis was so incredible. I was, I was blown away. Shout out to uh, Professor Buds on Instagram for hooking me up with some amazing cannabis for the party. We had like stuff like jelly bean and sour pink grapefruit and blueberry clementine. It was just, oh, yeah, I love the United States. I hope we get that kind of cannabis culture here. It's it's weird because I feel like cannabis has been kind of unofficially acceptable and popular for a long time in Canada. Totally. You know, like, I would always have people for years asking me, like, hey, is, is cannabis legal here? Because they would be, like, visiting Toronto and just smelling clouds of cannabis smoke, like, Especially all over the Especially Market or whatever. Yeah, know. yeah, right? And it's like, like, no, it's not, it's not, but, I mean, it's, I mean, it's been decriminalized for so long that it was kind of just like, mm, yeah, it's fine. Like, yeah, you'd literally be at a bus stop, some kid, like, lights up two like cops walk by don't even look at him like you know it's it's been so kind of just fine for the longest time that now it's i think it's kind of like like you said like there's a culture but before it was just kind of like oh everyone did it but there was never much of a a culture behind it right um and now i think that more people 
can get into it and there's going to be more venues to consume it and God, different things like so. that like that'll be interesting because i mean even myself when i see kind of the the more like grungy dreadlocky rasta cut aside of cannabis the culture. stereotypical stone yeah and like that's fine but i don't overly relate to that and then it's kind of cool there's a really neat cafe in in toronto and now i've realized they've got spots all over the country called tokyo smoke yeah and so they distribute cannabis in other provinces mm -hmm. but um they're hoping to be a place where you're like a cannabis cafe and i was like oh this is like such a nice cafe like i've been going there for years just for yeah. coffee oh just to drink coffee yeah because you can't do anything there now but they sell paraphernalia and can i tell you a great tokyo smoke story sure I yeah, yeah, yeah. on this one because it always kills me. I sold. Uh, I worked at Calgary's high-end uh, glass store, functional glass art, like you know stuff like that over there. And um, <clears throat> so there's a great video of the Tokyo Smoke guys, the guys that own it, and they're like, you know, cannabis culture and glass art has not progressed at all in in in, a, in more than a decade. Mm -hmm. You can either buy a large format glass dragon or a small format glass dragon and that's about it uh -huh. and we're gonna make these amazing pipes and we're gonna 3d print them and we're gonna charge a thousand dollars they are pretty pricey <laughs> right and i saw that i saw that and the rest of the cannabis community that's like into heady glass this like small one percent of cannabis that i'm so involved in and i was like you motherfuckers you know like i i know guys with thirty thousand dollar bongs uh you know shout out to codicius with the only quave up up down down klein clear klein in existence like that's that's heady glass that is not a large format dragon and i saw that and i was like oh tokyo smoke i have it out for you now but i do see i do see the shop up it's a nice it's a nice shop i don't know if the co i don't drink coffee by the way what yeah i used to work for red bull and i used to drink like eight to ten red bulls a Ugh, day I... and uh yeah when i quit that now coffee is just like gets me going interesting yeah you couldn't imagine um, yeah you see me well and i smoke my eight grams of prescribed cannabis a day imagine if i was drinking espressos <laughs> <laughs> oh god speaking of that i need some more beer <laughs> so your what's your favorite uh what's your favorite one i totally interrupted on the tokyo smoke thing where were you going with that do you remember um well just like cannabis culture and the mm. the evolution of it because like for me it's kind of interesting to see you know now I'm curious to see what kind of people, how it's normalized, who, yeah, who adopts it, who exactly, accepts it. Right? Like that's why I started the cannabis sommelier. Yeah, because I just wanted people to, it's it's normal. Like you you know I want everybody's mom to feel comfortable giving out joints at the party, just like they're comfortable when you walk in the door pouring you a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. Why is it any different? It's never been in my social circles. Yeah, but we were always stereotyped as stoners yeah i never had dreadlocks but you know it was like if you came to whoever's house you're not you're not drinking mm -hmm. you're smoking i think it's gonna be almost a whole generation though like i think that's there's still some stigma with alcohol in certain well, areas do you think edibles groups, will change right? that though because ed uh. this edibles thing is like you know i talked to so many people of an older demographic than myself kind of like that 50 to 80 range yeah and they're very comfortable consuming an edible like i make lots of stuff ginger candy yeah i was like what's the oldest lady candy i can make <laughs> everybody 
has no problem eating infused ginger candy. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was talking, my grandma, actually, she got hit by, like, a massive van when she God, was... God, oh my God. Yeah, like, in her 50s, and it shattered her pelvis, so she's had all sorts of issues with walking and pain and stuff for years. And so, you know, over Christmas, we're like, oh, you should just try some, like, CBD oil. Yeah. You know, you don't want to get high, per se, but, you know, there's all sorts of uses for cannabis, and so I think... Probably for her, it'll be totally foreign and weird to even confront that idea because for the longest time, she wouldn't have touched it with a thousand foot pole, right? But now she's like, well, I mean, if if the doctors say it's good and it's legal and it's going to make me feel better. I'm um, in. Right? So I think, who knows? I don't know if she'll do it for sure, but why not she's got a consultation on stuff that could help her out and yeah and it's interesting because you know those things should be readily available over the counter right now like with cannabis legalization this is one of the big things that messed up if we wanted cannabis legalization to work and to normalize it and i really think that the doing it this way was a way to create a fear-mongered propaganda whatever media cycle um but we should have been able to to supply your grandma day one with cheap cbd isolate mm. i just read an article yesterday the going price for uh cbd isolate in a liquid is twenty six hundred dollars a liter what and because of the congo a lot of african nations have legalized like growing cannabis and import export trades are oh really there it's actually going to happen like we're going to be just like supporting the canadian wine industry we're going to yeah. be pumping in uh imported ca- cannabis products huh. um they can make this same product at a hundred dollars a liter but probably no one's getting paid for it no they're getting paid extremely livable wages for where they are in the world because their money is just worth different value right you don't need a hundred u.s dollars goes a lot further in uh you know the congo or zimbabwe than it does in the u.s yeah Yeah. fair hundred bucks doesn't get you very far but when you've been living off the equivalent of a dollar a day your whole life it's it's different. So yeah, they were, I was reading that they have over a, a hundred or a thousand, four thousand hectares of all CBD wow. product. Um, and I know the company I work for, I believe we have, uh, you know, there's talks about partnering down in uh, Colombia. Okay. Aurora just acquisitioned a place in Mexico that is also the owner of all the Pharmacia, hmm. which is crazy (laughs) so yeah i think everybody's betting on international legalization in the next five years and this massive import export trade Mm. but then where does it leave canadian cannabis if we're at if we're producing day one like kind of crap cannabis how do we ever compete when the day that the usa can import yeah i mean like the thing about canadian products in general like whether it's wine beer agricultural products dairy everything's so highly regulated so it can be expensive but generally when you know it's from canada you know it's a good product and so i think comes back to that wine list though 65 versus 80 bucks california versus ontario in toronto but what you need to be doing is saying like okay well this what we produce is the best and we need to make sure we have people in the industry you need a guarantee it's who the best. know what they're doing and yeah. producing good stuff because otherwise like you said with wine like if we're paying very very high wages and it's you know higher taxes and all these things if you're getting a medium quality product 
for a high price, then what's the point? Why yeah, would you go there's back? no market competition for that product anymore. It's interesting to think. I know there is like I have a proprietary hundred point system of tasting cannabis, and I know there is hundred point uh, cannabis strains and cannabis growers uh, in Canada. Mm-hmm. But in the recreational market right now, it does not exist. Oh, so it's all going to medical kind of thing, no, or what? It's not in the. It's in the black market. Oh. Like there is incredible artisanal craft cannabis in the black market. People that are passionate with stories, with two, three decades of experience that are doing things that these big LPs could, couldn't even imagine. You know, some of the, I know the great gardener went to a big LP uh, and I got to find out what LP he's growing for because that's going to be one that's hopefully fantastic because they actually hired a real OG grower. But um, no, most of it's really bad. When these people can come into the market, everything will change. Mm -hmm. But I think we plagued ourselves by having this year of legalization where we don't let micro cultivators in and we don't let that 10,000 a case, 10,000 case a year, small to medium cellar door winery uh, as a cannabis person compete. And that's where the best, that's where the best product is in, in Canada and has been the, the whole time. Yeah. So it's uh yeah, it's, 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 it's been interesting. I'm definitely not bashing legalization by any means. I think it's way better than the alternative because um, it opened a lot of doors, you know, for us to collab and make something cool and like something different. I can't wait to take a Japanese guy uh, and 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 show him cannabis for his first time. Like mm. it's so illegal in Japan. Um, I can't wait for that first 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 guy to put it in his hands and yeah, let him roll a joint. That'd be so cool actually saw in colorado someone's offering a roll your own cannabis and sushi uh event awesome <laughs> so that's that'd be the funniest thing <laughs> awesome i love that and we could totally do stuff like that here yeah totally i don't know if it would be a hit calgary is such an interesting market like you know uh we've talked about the events that i'm starting i've got a dinner on january 26th with little the little chef uh, from the little truck on the prairie gourmet food truck cool but um it's interesting i think about calgary as like this incubator market where if it works here then it it's sure to work anywhere because there's such little support mm-hmm. um but in toronto something like uh a roll your own joint and sushi would would work no matter what you'd you'd sell out because yeah. there's enough people well that's what's interesting with toronto like i think both markets are awesome for different reasons. Like if you open up something interesting in Calgary, everyone's going to go there because there's just people hungry for newness and like unique options of where to go, what to eat, fun stuff to do. Um, Whereas in Toronto, it's like, it's kind of like New York where you could almost do anything, like no matter how bizarre and outlandish, there's enough of a niche interest in almost anything people are like yeah let's try it that's weird let's try it you know and so that's what's fun about being in toronto is like any day of the week you can google something or go on an event site and try and find something different and uh you know no matter how bizarre it is or how creative you are you can be like yeah i'm gonna do this and you're gonna get enough people to come check it out so we gotta hit cannabis and wine tours for like you know as when does the season start may yeah, yeah, May would be kind of when you get amping up into I, June. I think uh, I think we definitely need to talk about how to offer that like on a weekly basis because 
I think it, well, I don't know how, how often you run tours. Like how, what? Yeah, like all the time. Um, I mean, weekends are busier than weekdays as a lot of things are. Do you have a van or an SUV or a bus? Yeah, or? we use like kind of black car SUV and that uh, is what we take people down into the different regions. And then, I mean, a lot of the food and drink tours in the city are all just walking tours. So we'll meet at a specific meeting point and then go from there throughout the city. Uh, but yeah. That's cool. And but there's no dispensaries there yet, so you couldn't like stop in at a dispensary. But, no, but they you so... could have cannabis. Uh, maybe I maybe. have to figure that out. Yeah, well, uh, for sure. <laughs> for April, sure. Well, April's when they're supposed to be opening brick and mortar dispensaries in Ontario. So that is going to be. Originally, it was planned to be all government owned, like the liquor system there, the LCBO. But um, they've decided to open that up to private vendors. Yeah. On that note, let's uh, let's pause for two seconds, and we'll okay. pick that up in just a in just a second. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they've opened up privatization um, in in Ontario. Um, do you know much about that? I've been trying to keep up on it. Like the weirdest thing is, I mean, Ontario's been under liberal government for a long time. Now they got Doug. Yeah, which is always the never dull moment with Doug Ford. I learned he was a hash dealer long before that Globe and Mail expose. Yeah, that's like been something a lot of people say. Apparently, he and his brother and his whole family has been involved in like illegal hash dealing. Oh yeah, for decades. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's odd it's odd because like you get a certain subsect of people in downtown toronto and then you get like the the superficie around and it's like night and day sometimes and so people are like why did this happen and others are like great it's awesome so uh but in terms of privatization i mean that is the one thing i would accredit ford with is saying like oh it's nice because the lcbo on one hand, the LCBO is great. Like, it's a terrible monopoly, and it's such a... It's crazy. Yeah, like, it's it's a very nice experience for the average consumer, I think, because a lot of people go in, they don't want for a lot of unique products, and when you go into an average LCBO, you get representation from wine and beer and stuff from all over the world, and so it's... Like, the base level there is like, oh, it's pretty good. You know, I have people go in there like, oh, this is awesome. Um, but if you're, like, studying as a psalm and you're trying to prepare your palate for blind tastings and find unique products, if you don't find it at the LCBO, you're just, like, out of luck. And so it can be really frustrating as a food and drink professional or a restaurant or someone who owns a wine bar or something like that, if you want to get your hands on these unique products, you need to go through private importers or just give up. Well, and it's crazy how uh, ordering works and how liquor deliveries work because agents can come drop you wine. Yes. They're, like, they're the ones that are coming and peddling. They're doing 50 cases a day to people's people's doors just to make sure that they have that they get the wine because it's not going through an LCBO aggregated yeah shipping service which blows my mind yeah like oh so i was excited that they did decide with the cannabis to open it up to private vendors because like the lcbo has been in place since the 1920s so it's gonna be pretty much a miracle if they ever open themselves up to something else because they're just so powerful for those so that rich. don't know i'm just gonna step in so we're in alberta we're the only privatized alcohol market in canada since 1993 
The LCBO is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. They are the biggest wine buyer in the entire world. Yep. They're the biggest purchasing power. And the LCBO is owned by the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund. Yeah. Or they are they the controlling stake in it? I'm trying to remember. It's something like that. Um, but they've got a stake in in Ontario wine, yeah. for sure. But it's 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 an incredible monopoly, and only the government has been able to sell booze from their stores uh, with their employees, and. Uh, it's 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 incredible the hoops you have to jump through just to even get listed in the LCBO. Like you said, there's only so many things because and they just when did they bring vintages in? They brought this extra section in where they have nicer uh, wines in some select stores. I think that program only started like three years ago. I'm not sure. Like I've been living in Toronto about six years, so I'm pretty sure Vintages have been there since I've been there, but it's been getting better and better. Right, they opened that one Vintages store in 2016, like actually by Dundas Square. Mm. Uh, if you haven't been there, I heard it's pretty good. Well, now they've got like um, almost every shop now has a Vintages section, but then each shop is kind of on like a three-star system. So if you're like a one-star shop, it's kind of like the general list right then two star shops have a pretty good vintages section a little more variety and the three star shops are like big wide variety stores and then they started this new kind of taste of the world um initiative a few years back and so now we've got a few stores that have like a specialty stock um like in, on the Danforth in Greektown in Toronto, they've got all this Greek wine. Greek wines, okay. And then they've got like two East Asian boutiques where you'll find like a lot of like sake and like soju, sochu, Chinese wines and like, you the know. The government as actually figuring out like there's ethnic groupings. Yeah. That want specific things in specific regions. Yeah, or like Summerhill's got Spanish wine. But then like, for example, the only one in the province with German wine is out in Kitchener because apparently there's a large oh, German, German population there what a stupid idea though like, like wouldn't you love german wines in downtown toronto yeah well that's like the thing that's crazy if you're a som or like a restaurant professional in downtown toronto you're like we've got this insanely big consumer base like toronto is well downtown is like two and a half million and there's verging on like six or seven million in the gta and so like i mean we're looking at a market almost the size of new york city and we only have one wine boutique for German wine in the entire province. Yeah, when, like, stupid. you know, that's where I feel like... That's why you only sell weed online after legalization. And there's 65 stores here in Alberta. Yeah. Well, and that's what made me excited when I heard they were going to open it up for cannabis. Because, like, as much as the LCBO is always improving, it's like... You want to get people who are passionate and experienced in a product to be leading the way in the way that these products are sold and advertised and people are getting their education right like i don't want someone who knows as little as myself about a product being the one to teach me and introduce me to it i want someone who's spent the last six or ten years touching and growing and dealing with these products to be the head of this kind of educational passionate people yeah right it's so hard to find passionate people anywhere which is ironic because i mean like you talk about these different growers doing these like hundred point cannabis or whatever like these are the people that should be propositioned to be 
leading leading the way yeah you know what's crazy they're not even they're not even convicted i say they're not even criminals they're not convicted criminals yeah they're outlaws right but you know these people have all the opportunity zero barrier of entry to 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 get in and Mm -hmm. um when they're there like everybody else needs to watch out because it'll be crazy but there is that barrier of entry on the license side and you know the government just like the lcbo can control it and one thing i want to talk about with the privatization in uh ontario yeah with the cannabis side so they've put these 25 stores up Mm -hmm. they want to put them in rural areas this is one thing that they talked about they want to put one in toronto and they want to put the rest spread out like you know lindsay ontario is gonna get one kitchener uh whatever further out of the gta i don't know enough petrolia sarnia is going to get a dispensary but anybody in canada can put their name into the lottery and Uh so i can i don't know what the fee is i don't even know if there is a fee but i'm pretty sure there is a fee can enter this lottery to get one of the 25 dispensaries in ontario Mm. you know what that's worth if i get that lottery oh a ridiculous amount (laughs) how unfair is that though it's weird that like every week or two things change like like when they first um, legalized, it was like, oh, it's going to be all government run. And then like a few weeks later, oh, no, it's not going to be anymore. And then we're going to open X amount of stores. But the election happened in that. In that yeah, moment, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, so Doug Ford came in. The liberals went out. Doug yeah. Ford was really radical in all of his plans. Nothing changed here in Alberta except yeah. for the fact that none of the cannabis companies could fulfill their requirements. Mm-hmm. So they had licensed 65 stores across Alberta. Yeah. There's like a hundred and some odd applications that are still pending or waiting for approval. They just cut it off and they're like, we'll take the cannabis stock that comes in and we're going to equally distribute it to all of you 65 stores mm-hmm. until you all build an inventory and then we'll start licensing again. Which makes sense. I mean, there's no point opening new shops if none there's of the shops have none. Yeah. So. But you know, it's kind of also ridiculous to have 65 stores that sell exactly the same thing. That I agree with. Um especially when it's privatized right like if you're a government store and you want everyone to look and operate the same way i understand that's like how mcdonald's operates right like you kind of go there people are hungry well yeah and that's just and cheap weed (laughs) is so expensive here 10 to 15 dollars a gram no matter what is it yep all the way up Mm. it's brutal how are you ever supposed to smoke blunts spending that kind of money Especially if it's dry recreational cannabis. Mm. You know, there's so many barriers to entry. I don't know what it's... I know the Ontario Cannabis Store is actually selling for cheaper than it is in Alberta. And I think that's a big problem with our sin tax that we have here, uh, which is on alcohol and cigarettes. But I saw in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, when I was looking at their cannabis stores, like it's, you know, there's lots of stuff well below 10 bucks a gram. And I guess that can compete, but here it seems so ludicrous sometimes to be spending the amount of money that this legal canvas costs i remember day one i went live on instagram i made a canvas purchase i bought 21 grams i have the receipt right here and it cost me 331 dollars for uh yeah 21 22 grams and that was really heartbreaking yeah and I didn't even buy all the expensive stuff. What would you uh, expect to pay in the black market? Yeah, uh, for twenty-one grams, like a hundred and twenty bucks, maybe a hundred dollars. 
you know, depending on who you know, might cost you 150 or 160, mm-hmm. but that's still half the price. Yeah. If you literally had the worst guy ever who sold cannabis to you gram for gram, it'd be 10 bucks a gram. But you know what's nice? He's going to let you touch it and look at it before you leave the store mm-hmm. or before you, you know, if you don't want to buy it from him, you don't have to cannabis store. You pick a name off a list on TVs. It's so terrible. If you've been into any of them, the TVs scroll so quickly. You pick a name off a list as quick as you can. And then they hand you cannabis until you can't look at it until you leave the store. And then they, you can't return it. Hmm. You can return liquor. You can re- return yeah, open yeah. liquor. If I buy a bottle of wine and it's corked, I can return it. Yeah. Why is why is it if I buy cannabis, it's all sales are final? Yeah. Honestly, I think it's just a matter of like, everything's up for debate. It's just a matter of, it's like, we need to roll out a system now and get something operating. And then probably over the next few years, we're going to see a lot of changes. Do you think that was on purpose? Do you think that's, this is my conspiracy, that they just did it to make all the bad media like it almost is like a fear mongering campaign that i see utilizing the shortcomings of rushed mm. legalization well i know that's my ridiculous mind you like, don't have to agree or i see what you're saying i think the thing about it is like it's like anything new and rapidly changing that you know, a lot of people, are, oh, we didn't do enough research, we didn't do enough this. It's like, but we can't do research if it's not legal. We can't do this if it's da 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 well, So it's only, like, you kind of just have to go for it. And that's like anything really new, even technology, right? Like every week, like education and things are changing. So like we as a society, we just kind of have to like roll with the punches and see what makes sense. And But I think we should look at the parallel of the only other parallel we have is the end of alcohol prohibition, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you look at the end of alcohol prohibition versus the end of cannabis prohibition, it's it's insane. Yeah. Like they went with, we won't restrict it that much. Everybody's already been drinking anyways. Yeah. Um, you know, drinking and driving laws didn't exist, all of these things. And now they're using cannabis legalization as a way to take away a lot of your rights while you're driving Mm. um and it seems that it wasn't as much as uh letting people have the opportunity that they're saying as much as they can give the golden handcuff um and really wrap you in now in alberta um or is this i think it might be federally bill c46 they can give everybody a breathalyzer test if you get pulled over Mm -hmm. uh, a cop wants to give you a breathalyzer test you can't refuse if they don't have probable cause like even if you're a passenger or interesting i don't know that i don't know that that's 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 a very interesting idea but i don't think it's illegal to be intoxicated as a passenger right no cannabis is legal yeah um but as but as the driver for sure and um that's even on a you know you don't need a you don't need probable cause or a warrant anymore to to administer a breathalyzer test and that um comes with cannabis legalization um the the penalties are crazy for having more cannabis than you're supposed to like you know i understand you're only allowed to carry 30 grams for a reason but if i'm going on a camping trip for two weeks into the boonies like 30 grams of cannabis isn't going to cut it why can i literally fill my trailer full of booze to the point where i could drink and die but i can only have 30 grams of cannabis yeah is it to create a police state so that all these people have all this right to just come at you, search you, um, and and be in 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 your private space, no matter what. Like, 
you know, I understand they, they're like, oh, everybody can grow four cannabis plants. Does growing a cannabis plant give the officer the opportunity to just walk into my backyard now? Well, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. But I can see, uh, you know, the U.S. government didn't have any problems with it in California in the 90s. So why should uh, why should the feds in Canada? Yeah. But now I'm thinking like a crazy old, you know, I'm supposed to be the cannabis small. Yeah, I'm, I'm standing up for normalization and, and all this. But I do I do, I do, do still worry. It, uh, it, it the, the semantics of legalization blow my mind. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's like the whole point, right? If you're going to legalize something... It's to protect consumers and sellers and all these type of things on one hand, but also, yeah, you don't want to make it worse for people who are using it because then, I mean, that's and it's totally counterintuitive. Worse now. It's totally worse. Before, the fact that they didn't privatize and let a guy in a car, like a, a delivery service, come is, bless you. Excuse me. <laughs> Um, is is beyond my mind. Like, why would you think that cannabis got voted in? Um, and there's all these guys that drive around and deliver cannabis as their full time job that are business people, and you're not going to give them the opportunity to have a small business. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you think that your customer base is going to change if the guy that they have known for five years, ten years, a year, six months? I don't like going to the store. It's way better if somebody shows up to my house and gives me free product. Mm. But can you order online here? Yes, of course. Okay. But, um, you know, then you're dealing with the postman who may or may not actually knock on your door. Yeah. And then you have to wait a whole other day to go to the max and pick up your pers- your, your, your cannabis. Um, and then most of, the, most of the time, it's low-quality cannabis in this recreational market. Mm. And that's, you know, your guy now has to operate like a dispensary and he is going to come to you with multiple selections um and the other big discount of going to a guy is the actual discount right um at the store you get charged gram for gram but the standard in cannabis forever has been if you buy an eighth you get 3.5 for 30 dollars you get a quarter for you get seven grams for sixty dollars, and you get a half ounce for one hundred and twenty dollars. Yeah, that's it's it's never been any different. You know, uh, ounces are usually two hundred and twenty. You get six free grams. Not anymore. Legalization. It's it's no. We're gonna make it fifteen dollars a gram, and you have to buy every single gram. Mm-hmm. And how does that defeat the black market? It just it it, it it's um, especially with an inferior product, especially in Ontario where you're seeing mold and stuff come to come up in 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 all this cannabis that the consumer's trying uh you know it my guy whatever over the last 10 years is it's never going to sell me moldy cannabis and if he did sell me moldy cannabis he's going to come back apologize and give me extra yeah well and the funny thing about that kind of like i was saying before with we should have these experts being the leaders for education and all mm-hmm. these other things like yeah a lot of people if they've never been having or like using cannabis in the past and now they go out to a dispensary they order it online because they want to try it they wouldn't even know if it was moldy and so you know that's a scary thought right there should be a lot more responsibility on the provincial government it's like if you guys want to be the ones 
making all the decisions and deciding, yes, we are only going to limit it to this and limit it to that. It's like, you better be doing an extra good job. Yeah, have a way better guarantee. Like, the LCBO has such a vetting process and so many... Yeah. Uh, a huge panel of professionals to make sure that, that wine meets the tipsicity and they retest it even after the, the yeah, export test. Yeah, it's like lab tested and everything. And that, uh, that doesn't happen with cannabis. And again, we were talking about this earlier, that you can sample alcohol in a store... Um, but you can't even open cannabis in a cannabis store. So the professional who's supposed to be informed and guaranteeing you of its quality, it doesn't even have the opportunity to look at it. Yeah. And that just blows my mind. Uh, but I think people like you who are you more in tune with what's going on and like that's... It sucks because, I mean, you guys have to put in all the work, right? But as this whole thing evolves, I mean, it's it's people like you who know more and can have Share a voice, yeah. right? Like, I guess, like, you guys have to be the squeaky wheels, unfortunately, and put in some of that work to, to hopefully find a good system. Uh, I have a lot of fear behind that. <laughs> I worry that the things I say may come back to haunt me, mm. but I really just want to make sure that I hold cannabis companies accountable well i think that's that's like a good mission for any any realm of business right like every every company should be accountable for what they're offering as a service or a product and so right accountability is is everything as an employee as a boss as a business yeah um well and that's the other thing though like you i've seen for example like city of toronto just um voted because each municipality or region was allowed to decide if they wanted dispensaries in ontario okay and that was a provincial thing that got like eradicated and so like mississauga which is the city just west of toronto operates in some ways almost like a suburb a lot of people come in and work downtown uh but they voted they didn't want any dispensaries um and so i was like oh well that's great how many liquor stores do they have (sighs) like yeah anyways you know probably dozens if not over a hundred you know and but that's just it so now it's like so you're telling me you as a city councilor of mississauga think it's better for your um citizens or to drive into toronto or any other surrounding area exactly what a way to take dollars out of the community well and that was the other thing right and like i understand like there's a lot of unknown variables but it was good to see that the city of toronto was like even the kind of debates in the council, a few people were against it. Others just wanted a little more um, power in their hands, like on their okay. local level, which, okay, I can respect I that too. What kind of variables are you imagining though? Because I really don't think that there's any, like cannabis has been the big, biggest clinical trial ever. Thousands of years, people have been consuming cannabis. True. And nothing went wrong. I think the problem is no one knows almost anything about it. Like... You get a lot of people. The education who, comes from the couch, you know. The yeah, guy. right. Like it's 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 the guy that smokes the most cannabis is the guy that is the expert, and that's how it's always been. Yeah, and so like you got a city councilor trying to make a decision, and they're worried about their constituents, like complaining that the the dispensary is too close to the schools or all these other things, and and they just want to do what's best for the community they want to probably keep their job and they know next to nothing about cannabis and they're the person who's trying to make a decision about it but it's like 
I don't know, like whether it's like we just need better education or briefing on these things. Right. Or... How does a politician make a decision if they've never smoked a joint? Yeah. How do you say it's bad if you've never done it? Yeah. And that's just like this kind of all or nothing uh, effect, but I guess, of legalization. Drugs. That's the war on drugs, right? Richard yeah. Nixon did a really good job in making people think that drugs are really bad. Mm. It's what it's what 50 years of great media will do. Well, and not every drug's the same, right? I think that's the other misnomer is like, oh, well, this is a drug. Right. But like what makes what makes nicotine what ma- or tobacco caffeine. not a drug or caffeine not Sugar. a drug? I was so addicted to pop when I quit smoking cigarettes. Mm. Pop is in your face everywhere. Find yeah. me one place they don't sell pop and everybody markets it to kids. Yeah. And it'll it destroys your body faster than cannabis ever will. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, a lot of things to unpack. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 like anything, right? Like, well, liquor, there's prohibition. Now it's not. Now it's super normal. And for ages, it was so normal. In fact, we needed wine and beer because water was dirty and. Right. it was nutritious yeah right and so it's like literally what kept civilizations alive and on the move for a long time uh and then they it's like oh prohibition and now it's fine again but you still have some stigmas from certain people at certain times um yeah and you know like i understand when people say oh don't try maybe cocaine because if you got oh, yeah, a bad batch it can kill you like that's totally logical and right. it's super scary but for something that's not going to kill you, that's natural, that's... Yeah, take a chance. How early do your parents give you a beer? When was the first time your parents let you drink at home? Uh, well, we went to California, so we tried some wine. I was probably like eight, and I thought it was disgusting. Uh, yeah, was but eight. they let you... Tr- <laughs> you know, they did it on purpose, though. They're like, oh, he's going to think it's disgusting. Yeah, that it worked for a while. Total- for, for a while. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I remember when I was eight, and I was in Napa, and that was the moment wine touched my lips, and I became the traveling song. There you go. If I knew what I knew now. Yeah, but it's... No, it's... Uh, your parents are... I remember having thimbles of whiskey... Mm. Friday nights, you know, the cap of the whiskey. My dad gave me a little tiny two to Jack Daniels and like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. But parents are really, and it's in Canadian law, you're allowed, your parents are allowed to give you alcohol under the age of 18 inside your own house. Mm. That's also in the cannabis law. You can give your kids cannabis inside your own house. Um, If you look at Europe though, I mean, Europe. Oh, what a crazy culture. They start watering down the wine in france for 12 year olds yeah but the thing is like you know i lived in france for a while i traveled all throughout europe and people drink almost every day mm-hmm. but you see less people drunk out of their mind throwing up doing stupid things in europe than you'll ever see here in canada and i think because it's sexy drinking it's not drunk drinking i was having this conversation yeah. last night watching ufc and i was like yeah you know i don't like getting drunk i enjoy the beverages that I drink, and the effect of being drunk is like kind of the undesirable part for me. Yeah. And the guy across the room goes, I only drink to get drunk. Yeah. So and like, I well, think that's I'm... such a North American thing. Like, we're told, don't drink, don't drink, and even worse in the United States till you're 21. And, uh, and then you finally get your hands on it, you go absolutely wild. Yeah, I'm crushing. Right? And you like 
you hear kids like having to go to the hospital get their stomach pumped out whereas in europe it's like oh yeah i've been drinking wine at family dinners since i was 12 14 years old and and it's just normal it's a different culture it's a totally different culture you have a glass with every meal because that's what you do yeah it's it's just a staple in the meal like having a green and having bread and having a protein well that's the best part about being a psalm is like pairing up drinks with wine and i remember that i remember being in the south of france and they made cassoulet and they're like oh i don't know if we have the right wine to drink tonight and you're like it's gonna be fine it's like yeah just go it just drink it whatever but that's like what an average person who's like just a country bumpkin version in french is like worrying about you know yeah sexy drinking if he gets drunk with 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 everybody at the table after five hours and they open a bunch of bottles of wine and have fun and eat and drink and you know sing and dance that's great it's not like uh going out and hitting five or six shots of yeah vodka like even cognac you know how much distilled spirit is there in france like a lot yeah cognac armagnac are really the only two that are coming to mind past like farm liquors but that's a very fancy thing to drink when you drink cognac or armagnac it's supposed to be a sipping yeah beverage you're not going out you know you the result of being drunk is always a desirable one but nobody's ever going out to be fucked up yeah they they don't they don't really do shots. Like, if you right. go to a dance club, maybe. Maybe. But, like, yeah, shots is just not a thing. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. You're not going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. You're getting drunk. You're yeah. going to make a fool of yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's Well, that's an interesting idea when you relate it to cannabis, too, because there is no taking a shot of cannabis, really. I guess you could take a dab, mm. but once you know the experience of cannabis, how different is it really Um once you're experienced with it it's just like being drunk i remember the first time getting drunk and i had a lot of fear around Mm -hmm. being drunk um and then you keep drinking because it's a normal thing and everybody around you does it and you become comfortable with being drunk right yeah to think that it's not the same with cannabis blows my mind everybody's like oh i tried it once and i was messed up it's like yeah well remember the first time you got drunk too like yeah it's just yeah normalization is a is a is a is a is a is a, a long journey i think and it will take a whole generation but you yeah. know to think but i think that's what's good with the stores being set up now um you know whether the quality's there or not the control and consistency hopefully is going to be something people feel a little more comfortable yeah, confident in. Right, because like, if you know exactly what levels of certain chemicals you're getting in this cannabis, then you try it once, and you try it again, and every time it's going to be the same thing, and then you try a different one, and so you start being able to... It's a hard idea, though, because the legal market that we've created is not like that. Mm. You can have a huge variance. Like You can literally... I walk into dispensaries, and they... I, you're only allowed to call them cannabis retail stores. They're not dispensaries. Oh, okay um noted and and some of the things have a fifth they say 15 to 30 percent thc mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's not overly specific and then i'm told that they can have a five percent variance on on that so you're telling me you could have a 10 to 35 percent thc sample how am i ever guaranteed that that's going to be the same the same exactly yeah. and this whole concept of you know you're a you're you're new to the market so um 
cannabis sativa and cannabis indica mm-hmm. myths. This is this is total crap that was misclassified and has now taken this huge root. Indica, Indica couch is going to get you really stoned. Sativa is going to give you uplifting energy. And you go into a dispensary and they're like, oh, it's 60% Indica and 40% Sativa. So you're going to be 60% stoned and 40% excited. And this is the, this is the. Went in knowing almost nothing to uh, a retailer and was asking a lot of questions. I was probably there like 40 minutes just asking questions. Uh, And, um, yeah, they'd be like, well, this is what Indica's like, this is what Sativa's like. But then you look at the little cards or TVs around the, the, the shop, and it's like, oh, okay, well, but the Indica's got off-the-charts amounts of THC, and this Sativa has way less THC, but that's what's supposed to get me high. And, like, it, it's confusing as a consumer going in there. You're like... Extremely. And the terpenes are really what's going to dictate your intoxication how how your experience goes yes yeah, so tell me more about that because like terpenes like it is it just a flavor or aroma or how does that kind of add i'm gonna give you to... this chart beside me while we talk about it okay because i heard something about this uh what was it the entourage effect here's or something a, here's a good like one. that okay that, one, that one's that one's nice and laid out and right. it has all the terpenes on the back side as well right. so i've got a list here and yeah so you know um myrcene beta carophyllene terpenoline limonene uh beta phelidrine parasaminine uh all these different things dictate your the way that you become intoxicated and the way that your um body your your cb1 and cb2 receptors actually interact with the cannabinoids that you've ingested okay um they say that myrcene makes the cb2 receptor more permeable so that's why a high concentration of myrcene which is that like piney or uh, mango smell that's found in kush uh gets you more in the couch uh indica stoned because it is more permeable on this cb2 membrane and that smells a bit like kind of hops type hops is humulene so uh yeah hops comes from the word humulus lupulus which is the scientific name for hops Mm. and they found after testing um genetics of cannabis that it was the same terpene and so they named it humulene after humulus lupulus but those are sour diesel has a lot of uh humulene in it okay um but all these things really dictate like how stoned you get and so in general people considered sativas to be high in like beta carophyllene and limonene and these are you know things associated with citrus flavors and kind of spicy pepper okay and these are the uh, these these uh terpenes inter- interact with your body in like an uplifting manner and are supposed to give you energy as opposed to like bringing you into a stoned state okay um whereas the indica ones are high in myrcene and pinene um and uh sometimes linole these things that smell like vix and forest and all these different things yeah and the way those interact gets you very like stoned chilled out yeah they they make you intoxicated so would this be pretty similar to like getting a diffuser with essential oils or yeah totally when you are doing essential oils and you're trying to work about it for anxiety or different aromatherapy methods yeah that's i always refer to um cannabis extracts as essential oils okay and that's when you get the purest form and you can really 
understand like rosin and stuff extracted with solvents this is the best way to understand your essential oil experience because these uh, terpenes are what the perfume industry is built on what uh, those aromatherapy businesses are built on mm-hmm. um, so once you understand those and how that intoxication is going to happen it makes much more sense as opposed to thc yeah and as everything's hybridized as well like i mentioned 60 40 50 50 whatever um that's just because they've been combining different terpenes to get the best genetic factors okay um if everything's a hybrid then how can you ever say that oh it's 60 percent indica so it's definitely going to make you more stoned yeah at that point it's almost its own thing exactly exactly so understanding how um different interactions with terpenes affect you is how you're going to really be able to pick your medicine the nose knows when you when you when you start being able to smell cush mm-hmm. and it's that deep forest and petrol and you know this is what's going to get you stoned we call it the gas okay um then you know but when you smell these bright citrus grapefruit lemon lime and it's just you know rip your face off it's it's and the long stretched buds it's probably not going to get you very stomach's going to taste great and it's you know the idea the uplifting idea is definitely there mm-hmm so you do like on top of smoking or different things, uh, you know, like cocktails and stuff. Mm-hmm. So how would you create a cocktail yeah. with? Cocktails are cool because. And how would that affect like a crowd? If you're serving cocktails, like are they only able to drink one or is, you know what I mean? Like how do you scale that to a, an evening event? Totally. It's funny. You mentioned the entourage effect and I love talking about it because it's uh when you eat a salad, there's so many more terpenes than you would ever get, like, smoking cannabis. Interesting. Yeah. When you drink uh, spirits, distilled liquor, there's it's 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 insane, right? Um, especially with bitters. Like, that's all terpenes and flavonoids mm. uh, suspended in, in alcohol. Okay. Um, so, when I do cannabis cocktails, like, it's all about microdose. I'm worried about my duty of care and making sure that people aren't like super intoxicated. Like I said, everybody's really used to being drunk. Mm-hmm. And so you can serve people kind of a one ounce cocktail. Um, you can put a lot of terps in it using different bitters and give them this experience and this connection to cannabis mm-hmm. um, without actually giving them a, an amount that's going to make them intoxicated. When I pair cocktails, it's really a great opportunity because a lot of the time I do utilize bitters. Um, shout out to Token Naturals for giving me some great bitters. Um, and then I can really pair super super easily, literally knowing when I use my lavender bitters yeah. that it's that it's linalool. Okay. And when I if I'm if I smell a little bit of that in the cannabis, it's really going to accentuate it. Just like blending, um, you know, uh, a Meritage Bordeaux style wine, that balance of Cabernet and Merlot, and maybe a little bit of Cab Cab Franc, or maybe a little bit of Petit Verdot, really really changes everything. Um, yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with this anymore. <laughs> You're interviewing me now. There we go, right? That's what Beers with Buds is about. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's interesting because, like, for me, you know, I think you get a lot of people who are curious about not only wine and beer but cocktails. And, and as a small year, you need to kind of know everything uh, to some degree, even coffee, tea, wine. And so, you know, maybe that'll be part of being a psalm in the future right like i know like the master psalms who did the examinations for me 
they used to have to do cigars. That was like part of what they did. Yeah, they take a cigar out, right? Yeah, they have, they have. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like terpenes and aromas and all these things. It's very fascinating because you, know, you find it in flowers and fruit, in wine and bitters, and then now you have this other whole kind of realm to to experiment with totally and that's why i created the cannabis sommelier and i did a i don't know if you ever read my i did an interview in high times which was really cool Mm -hmm. and i gave the definition of a cannabis sommelier which is really important to me and you touched on it big time is that a sommelier is a wine professional sommelier is a wine steward um me as the cannabis sommelier is only because i trained in wine i'm a wine professional and i am a master of cannabis Mm mm-hmm what I'm good at is giving you cannabis to elevate your dining experience. And that's why I'm the cannabis sommelier. Um, and it blows my mind when people are using like the word sommelier just to describe a, a cannabis expert. Because I think it's such a bastardization of this incredible term that a lot of people hold so proudly and work super hard for. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's tough. What do you think? You're a psalm. You're a psalm. You, got, you're, you did quartermaster sommelier. Yeah. If a, if a cannabis expert calls himself a cannabis sommelier because he only knows cannabis, is that fair? Ugh, it's a vague thing. I mean, if there's no proper certification system, I guess, you know, like who's to say what. But but a sommelier is a wine steward in, in the yeah. dictionary, right? That's true. That's true. So, yeah. It, it's a nice buzzword. Does it uh, offend you? Uh, I'm I'm very difficult to offend. So okay, that's fair. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, you go for it, man. You you pimp yourself out. You do. Um, but no, I think it is one of those things, right? Um, you know, like people who have a PhD, they want to like put those word initials by their title because it's a heck of a lot of work. And so, same thing, even at certified level, that's like you know not even advanced or master but you put a lot of hours in and you do a lot of training and practice and study and so who knows like i mean you know maybe someone who knows a ton about cannabis can give themselves that term and there's no way there's no educational body to 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 like um to monitor that at the moment but yeah i think it's something that if you're going to use it, you need to really be able to back it up. Yeah, walk, tread carefully. Yeah, because, well, that's the last thing you want for your own reputation is to call yourself a psalm and then people get in a conversation with you and they're like, well, this guy doesn't know much, yeah. right? Tell me about Gigondas. Yeah, right? And they're, they're like, like uh, cannabis? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, but I don't know, like, I, I do see it as, you know, maybe it is a term that could be, because there's, like, sake sommelier as well, so that's not specifically wine, and just because it's a, a liquid beverage, um, interesting, okay, you know, doesn't mean it, it can't be kind of But sommelier kind of started int- uh, being everything, right? Like you mentioned, it used to encompass cigar, but, yeah. but sommelier is very focused around service. It is, and this is yeah. a, this is an important thing for me when I when I have this discussion. I've talked about it in High Times and Global Mail. Um, if you're not part of the service industry, how can you be a sommelier? Yeah, that's true. Because like, well, so like as a certified level som, you 
I mean, it's going to be way easier for you if you have service experience because there is a service element to your exam on top of blind tasting and theory. But if you're applying to uh, challenge the advanced or master SOM um, certification, you need to have experience. I think you need a minimum two years. Don't quote me on that. Uh, I think it's actually five years is it? Uh, if you want a challenge. Okay. But yeah, like, so you need to apply and then be invited by mm -hmm. the, the court. That's what so, I wanted for my advanced. I was, I wanted a challenge. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. Right. And but I, I like been in the that. wine industry long enough. Well, and yeah, on one hand it's, it sucks if you've been in another uh, area of wine because it's like, you may know a whole bunch, but it is, but I guess if you just want to get accredited in some way, there's the master of wine. There's other avenues that you can go that are more MW, academic. MW. Yeah, totally. Uh, so if everybody doesn't know the two most prestigious, uh, certifications for wine is uh, becoming a master sommelier from the court of master sommeliers and shout out to Fred Dame for bringing that to America I believe it's 1976 if not 86 um, and then we have the WSET which is the wine and spirit education trust and they offer all the way from one to one two three and then a diploma course I'm a level three um, and then the you, then there's a master of wine and the prerequisite to become a master of wine is you must have a diploma from the w set but in the master of wine the tests are quite different with master sommelier there is a service aspect that was that's very important there's a rapid fire theory where you're being asked questions on the spot it's not a written exam and then your blind tasting is eight wines mm -hmm. where the master of wine examination is uh, like an extremely long written thesis mm -hmm. uh, and then you do 12 wines in master of master sommelier i think it's your you do your eight wines in 30 minutes and master of wine you do 12 wines in 60 minutes but it's all written where master sommelier you have to speak it yeah so the master of wine is like a very if you're an introvert if you're a nerd if you don't want to talk to anybody that's the route you're going to go to become a, to become the most accredited. Yeah. Master sommelier, you have to be, you want, you have to have the finesse. That's what it's about. I love, I love talking my tasting notes way more than I like writing them because I'm not as quick. I love the idea when it pops into my mind. Mm -hmm. This tastes like a fruit roll up that I stepped on in my, you know, light up shoe sneakers <laughs> as I was walking through heritage park which is a pioneer village and you're like you know i like saying stuff like that as opposed to just like grapefruit lemon woodsy i think the main thing about tasting notes like you can get pretty outlandish and it's a lot of fun but you need you need to have something that means something to you doesn't always mean something to someone else yeah, so if you're trying to sell them a wine or you know, if it's your best friend, you're like, do you remember that smell when we'd like go camping and da da da? da? For that person, it's a very useful note because you shared this common For everybody experience. Else, it's useless. Yeah, and so I think that's something I've learned where. Uh, for a while, I was like, oh, I love using this note. But if no one else relates to it, it's Let's not useful it anymore. Yeah. And so you kind of have to adopt a certain level of standardization. But then there's also a lot of things that whether it's for your own personal help or, you know, with people that you know or have a common experience to you, you can use with them. No, I know what you mean. I use one that people really started understanding and relating to, and it was uh, a melted, this Pinot, 
Pacific Northwest Pinot Noir. Mm. Don't steal this if you're listening. Maybe I will. Um, it's uh, it's it's melted cherry popsicle okay. from the back of your freezer. The power went out twice. It's covered in frostbite. It's got that goop on it, but you okay. peel it back and like the stick got a little wood too woodsy in the package because it sat at the back of your freezer for like two years. And people are like, "Holy shit, that's exactly what it smells like." I'm like, "I know." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like red fruit, your oak, and da 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 da. Right, that like goopy kind of jammy cherry, and it's like I can taste it. I know that memory of that popsicle that I found in the garage freezer. And yeah, yeah. No, it's it, and I tell people this all the time too. It's um when you taste wine, it's so specific. Yeah, you, you know when you do your tours. I'm sure, well, I don't know. I'm sure at first you were like, yeah, I love this wine. Yeah, da, 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 da. This is what I think it tastes like. And then eventually you learn that not everybody agrees with you and it's not worth uh, the, it's much more important to hear what somebody has to tell you than to tell them what you thought it tasted like. Yeah, I'd rather like elicit their idea before I give them anything because that's a tough thing. Even for us, like as a psalm, you need to kind of keep it out of your mind that, like, don't, don't jump to conclusions or tell yourself, oh, I smell this because your gut instinct is that it's a Sauvignon Blanc, right? Like, mm-hmm. maybe it is, and that'd be great, but maybe it isn't, and you're going to trick yourself into thinking you're smelling something you're not. Oh, that's a hard one. And I try and, like, not kind of implant ideas into people's minds of it, taste it, and then I'll tell you what I think about it, but it's tough to not agree with someone once they've given you an idea totally suggestive tasting is like nail it and i love it i love it when you actually do suggestive tasting and you're like standing in front of women are my favorite example and you have six women in front of you and everybody is like oh my god i never thought i'd taste that you're totally right yet to and then there's the one that's like no you're wrong that's not <laughs> what it tastes like and you're like yeah you're right like it might not taste like that to you yeah but your five friends agreed with me, so leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but I, again, it's like some people are more sensitive to things. Like there are, you know, like if you look at chemistry of wine, I did this really cool um, two-day chemistry of wine seminar in Toronto this fall. Cool. Who's that with? Um, so it was set up by John Sabo, who's a yeah. A John Sabo's a badass. But the uh, professor, I'll have to look it up for you sorry uh, <laughs> sorry to montreal um it'll come to me but he actually teaches a a whole like multi-week course uh at the university of montreal there and it's um he goes into like chemistry and how you know like oak contact creates different things and how esters are formed during fermentation how the pigments are extracted and all this kind of stuff so this was like a condensed version this is the first time he did it outside of his own like cool. full-on course um so there's still more to learn uh <laughs> but it was neat because like you know sometimes say uh even if a wine's corked some people will notice it better than others and that's like a whole that's not because you're more talented or less talented you may physically not be able to notice because your threshold is higher or lower Yeah, you're more in tune with it women are better wine tasters than men is that fact? That's fact. That is literal fact because they have their perception of smell is better. They also have a less filtered expression mm. of that. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. No, women are better wine tasters. 
Shout out to Jancis. You're the queen. I hope you listen to this because I love you and you should come on the podcast. There you go. Get over here, Jancis. Jancis, you went on Gary Vaynerchuk. Come on. You know, he shared a bucket with you. I don't know if you ever watch. Do you watch Gary Vaynerchuk ever? Um, do you so, know so. who the guy is? Yeah, I do. I do. Okay. So he uh, he started Wine Library TV. Okay. Do you know about Wine Library TV? So really. Gary Vaynerchuk started um, the first email newsletter. Okay. And it was to sell wine. Uh, okay okay and then he capitalized on youtube at the early days so he was the ceo of his parents wine company or liquor store whatever he started selling wine online with wine library and then um he stepped down as the ceo and started shooting the worst youtube videos like right at the fruition of youtube he set up a camera on the start of every video he go Welcome to the internet's most exciting wine show. I'm Gary Vaynerchuk, and welcome to the Thunderdome. And he would just sit there, and he would taste wines. And um, yeah, nobody knows. Like that's totally how he built his career. Uh-huh. Was making YouTube videos. That I didn't know that. Absolutely nobody watched. Huh? And I. But I, it worked. It, oh, it fucking worked. <laughs> right. And I got into that like years ago. I, my buddy did a did a thing for him in 2013, and he put me on to Gary Vaynerchuk. And I've been watching him religiously ever since. Thank you. Best mentor I never had. And um, I love that. I love that he started out as this, like, the, the the worst YouTube wine personality and got some of his heroes on there. Like, Jance. So he loves the Jets. And okay. he always used to spit into this Jets bucket. And this is, like, from maybe 2011. And Jancis Robinson comes on the show and Gary Vaynerchuk doesn't even bother to get two spit buckets. He shares this New York Jets spit bucket with Jancis Robinson as she sits there and tastes with him. And I'm just like blown away because my favorite story about Jancis is when, um, I can't remember what house it was, but she shows up in Burgundy. And for those of you who don't know, Jancis Robinson is English. She was the first female wine writer to become a master of wine. Um, she was the first person outside of the wine industry to become a master of wine especially as a female incredible she's an incredible woman she shows up at this house in burgundy uh grand crew and there's just a button on the door and she speaks perfect fluent french um not parisian french she's very good at it perfect fluent french hello i'm a master of wine and the guy sees that uh she's a, a woman and so he walks down with a bunch of glasses of wine and says you have to blind taste these and if you if you tell me what they are then then you're in and she fucking nails it. Mm. Every, every single one. Tells them the year. like, And he gives her like 50-year-old wines. Wow. And she fucking nails it. And, you know, lets her in. And it's just like respect. I, I love stories like that. Like, she's she's incredible. She's the best blind taster out there. You know, her. I've read so much of her books. And to think that she would share a bucket with Gary Vaynerchuk on this shitty YouTube show blows my mind. That's the interesting thing about social media. <laughs> right? Right? Like, you get all sorts of people, and you can get a lot of pull for not a lot. I'm excited <laughs> for everybody to listen to this five years from now when you have the biggest wine tour company in Niagara or the biggest cannabis and wine tour company in Canada. I'll take it, man. I'll take it. Hey, you know what it is. You're an entrepreneur. It's all about pulling the trigger, right? If, if your fear sets you back, um that's that's literally the only barrier to entry of being an entrepreneur is is fear what other people have to say yeah well honestly my biggest fear was like doing something boring um 
that's my worst nightmare. And that's why <laughs> and that's why you're a good entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It, like, I wouldn't say it runs in my family per se, but like my parents have dabbled in different things. And my brother, actually, here in Calgary, he has a, a co-working space called Work Nicer. Okay. And so he's been... I need a co-working space. That's so a good thing you mentioned that. I will hook you up. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they've got like two locations here. They're just about to open one at Edmonton. And so like he's been an entrepreneur since we were kids like we were i was probably like nine years old and he's like printing off business cards off my dad's computer and like hustling our neighbors to let him shovel their sidewalk of snow for money like it's like ingrained in him from youth like he's just got this entrepreneurial spark i'm a little more of like the artsy type uh, but this is good because it's like the mix of like passion and art and food and wine and all this kind of stuff yeah, uh, but for your passion exactly right? and i think i kind of realized i was like well you can either work for someone else and do all this and that or you can kind of offer something really neat to people and uh yeah it's a lot of work sometimes so is your brother inspire you is your brother an inspiration like to, uh, to start crushing it did it, he did he make you want to do what you did or did you just send it and you're like ah no nah, screw you because that's totally fair nobody really likes their brother that much no i mean i ask him so many questions i'm always like hey what should i do for this what about this what's, what's the best name? way to market uh alex is his shout name. out alex yeah alex <laughs> but like honestly like the cool thing about alex is he's always he doesn't really get high off success okay like part of the neat thing with his co-working concept is that like he's not that excited to be this co-working king or anything for him it's all about nurturing the people that are at his co-working space like he's that's what on the hustle well that's what his spaces are about right it's like people meeting and right like maybe you're there and you're working on setting up an event for cannabis but you need someone who's a graphic designer and it just so happens that someone else there is a graphic designer and so like he's definitely got this kind of like oh i'd love to connect you with someone or like uh, this nurturing kind of style of of entrepreneurship where he's like it may work out for me in the end but like the whole idea is that he wants to connect people and get people doing well and so he's always happy to help me and questions about everything from marketing to accounting to i don't know whatever so yeah like i don't know if he was entirely let's say an inspiration of what my concept is but in terms of like being a supporting factor and looking at someone who's decided yeah you know decided to step out of the nine to five and do something on their own you're like oh yeah why not like that's cool well worst case scenario is like i just go back to a great restaurant and work for them like i was doing before and i also enjoyed that but it's nice to kind of just see where things will go and and offer something that you're passionate about believing in yourself feels great yeah, totally. And like, I mean, that's the best part about doing these tours and different things is, you know, people go out with you for the day. They're like, oh, that was amazing. We had a great time. Or like, that was the highlight of our trip. You're like, oh, sweet. You know, that's that's like the best compliment you can give me. Right. I remember my wine tour when I went to Niagara. I went and met my fiance, Sarah's parents. And the whole, we were there for two weeks in Ontario. And it was like pretty up and down pretty rough and the second last day i went on a wine tour i got picked up from my hotel in niagara and went on a wine tour and it was it was the best day of my trip there you go (laughs) it was incredible the guy i can't remember his name man he was like just talked and talked and talked and talked and uh 
he made my trip. He was so interested. He was more. He was so interested. In me. I don't want to say he was more interested than my girl's parents, but he was like extremely, extremely into it. And it worked out like you mentioned. You get a lot more people on the weekends. We yeah. did on like a Wednesday, and oh, he had a big van. Yeah, we were the only ones, and so it was like every- everywhere we went, it was just it was set up to, to the nines. I absolutely loved it. Oh, I kept you longer than I expected. Hey, that's fine. No, do you have to, um, do you have to go? I want to look up the name of that guy for oh, you. Oh, the, the, the University of Montreal guy. Wine, yeah, good, good, good. I feel bad. So let me check. This no, that's out. good. Well, we remember John Zabo. Yeah. Well, so he organized it, uh, and then he sat in on the lecture and everything. So he'll probably be the one to organize it again in the future. He's a suave dude. Oh, uh, he is like the best. You ever <laughs> watch? So you think you know wine? The Wine Align show? Uh, I've seen a little bit of it. Okay, it's a pretty it's a pretty good YouTube show. Um, sorry, Sarah D'Amato, but you never win, and she's she's bad at it. I got to take my Canadian Wine Scholar class with David Larson, which is really cool. So I love... It's so interesting in Canada how few uh, wine personalities there are. So yeah. everybody knows who these... Well, we're a little spoiled in Toronto because, like, I mean, John Sabo's based there, and then Bruce Walner, who I actually yeah. studied with him uh, to prep for my CMS because cool. he runs a thing called the Sommelier Factory or Somme Factory. Cool. Okay. And but that's like downtown Toronto as well, so I know we're a little bit spoiled. I've had people from like out in Ontario, like two, three hours out of the city, and they're like, "Yeah, I commuted." every week for like three months downtown to take this course with bruce because i have no other I have no access other to these yeah. people who are really great so there's um, 50 grand on wine or yeah right and so but no it's really good like you know we kind of like we were talking about before with people not like repping canadian things i think that's another thing we need to do is like just recognize our local talent and and play right. it up i love it when canadians bet big I hate the show Dragon's Den. Yeah. I love Shark Tank so much because it's so like good and cutthroat and Dragon's Den's like so nice and neat. But I love it when I see Canadians bet big. We're talking about Canadians betting big. Uh, the one thing that was on my mind was when did you uh, bet on yourself? When did you want to like actually do something for you and make that almost your full-time job? Because I know you still are in the Psalm world learning and getting that experience yeah well honestly like i looked at some different entrepreneurial ideas and stuff not even within the wine world and maybe like four years ago a good friend of mine cecile she went over to paris and did this day trip from there out into champagne region and she's like oh it was great and this guide she was awesome and it's like fancy suv and i was uh, having a good day and but the cool thing was the guide was multilingual so she's like you know not a lot of people go to paris and can find a wine tour in english right and because okay. i used to teach english abroad so i speak spanish and french and dabbled in a few other languages this too. is one of my questions how many languages do you speak well three i would say fluently and then i speak like some romanian a bit of italian cool very attractive as a tour guide that's right yeah um and i've always had this passion for travel so cecile comes back and she's like you should like maybe look at offering some tours into niagara and stuff but do it in spanish or french because you know i don't think anyone else is up to that so i did a little research and mold it over and I'd kind of had this idea to do other entrepreneurial things, but I mean, A, there's that like betting on yourself, leap of faith, 
And even just for me, I'd been traveling so much for years that the idea of staying in a place for a long time and committing to something was a bit of a a stretch. You know? Right, that's like, scary. Yeah, because I was like, well, I don't know. Like, if I'm doing this, I could always just go off to europe or london or asia and work in some cool restaurant or hotel or something and so it was a little bit of all of those things but i kind of molded over for a while did a bit of research and decided hey why not give it a try and if it doesn't work it doesn't work but if it does it does and so what was the cost to get into your business you know well i set it up to be as low as possible because i mean we don't really have an office that people come visit because most people just book online over the phone we Mm -hmm. do a lot of pickups from people's hotels that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um so i did everything i could um to keep costs low um you know you need certain things you need to pay for your website and hosting and uh you need some insurance and some different stuff like that did you buy a new car for it I did. Okay. Yeah. Um, Lease or buy? I ended up buying because okay. the amount of mileage I have to put on it. Okay. Okay. okay is fair, very high because you're picking people up. From yeah, Toronto and like taking them out to Rogers exactly. So and that's a two and a half hour, hour and a half drive. Um. So Niagara's about an hour and a half, and then like if we go to Prince Edward County, it's two hours. So okay. So you buy a new car, so that's fifty grand on an SUV. Yeah. I guess over time. But it's better than leasing and paying the miles on it. Yeah. Good website hosting that can book, you know, 500000 bucks for the year. Mm. Yeah, but that's the thing. So, like, I mean, overall, pretty low startup costs. Yeah. Plus, you have a car you can drive all the time. Yeah, you can use it. I mean, Toronto, it's not even worth it half the time. But <laughs> it is it is nice to have for certain things, like getting away for weekends or picking stuff up dropping it off or mm, kind of like what you stuff. do for work yeah exactly so <laughs> it pretty much is an extension of it so um but yeah so i was like i'm gonna give it a go and i kind of had to realize and i think we're in a generation now where everyone really really wants immediate satisfaction <laughs> and gratification nobody's patient no, and I mean, I'm, I'll am i be honest, that's probably one of my biggest flaws is I, I'm not the most patient person, so, um, you know, I do want gratification, uh, but I also realized, especially the longer I've been doing this, that you know, everything takes time, and even when things happen quickly, they're never as quickly as you really want. So the business didn't work right away? It did, I okay. mean... so you started making sales right away? Like, this is the thing, I... I never lost money per se, right? but there's also this, you're like amping up speed. So if you had an investor who's willing to dump a hundred grand into your business, I'm sure they would have grown much faster than I'm growing, but... I don't know, maybe not necessarily. I mm. think there's only so many customers for it, right? Well, that's true too, but I guess it's it's just like you're you're building up your reach, you're building up your reviews, the fact that people come across your website and they think oh yeah this is a company i can i can trust newworldwinetours.com okay thank you yeah no problem yeah so like you know it's like anything if if you're researching a trip or if you're gonna buy a product and the website doesn't instill confidence in you then you're not gonna you're not sold on it yeah and so for us it's like you need to build up reviews on TripAdvisor Mm -hmm. or other big sites that have uh, a big credibility already yeah. and so it's it's a matter of building that up word of mouth within the city you know one person checks out our tour and then 
oh, they tell their friend who's organizing a bachelorette or gifting an anniversary or wants a special thing to do this weekend, and then they check us out, and then they love it, and then, you know. It just goes. This summer is going to be crazy. I see, honestly, as we talk about cannabis and wine, cannabis tourism is going to become insane in Canada. Canada's way cooler now to come to than Amsterdam. Yeah. In my opinion, like, every stoner kid's dream just went from, like, I'm going to turn 18 and go to Amsterdam to uh i'm i'm smoking canadian cannabis or i'm coming to canada because it's way well i don't know because i've never been to amsterdam but it's it's beautiful here and it's awesome and it's like a lot bigger than going to amsterdam and especially if you're not into uh the red light district or you know raves uh and cannabis is the only desirable part about amsterdam to you it might uh cannabis tourism can become huge here like yeah well and that's like it's exciting to meet you and uh pick your brain because i mean toronto is in a really interesting spot right now because for the longest time i feel like no one would ever plan just to go to toronto on vacation like it was like oh i'm here on business i'm here for this totally but it was never the highlight of a trip and now you know like it or not we've got a lot of publicity from artists like drake or justin bieber Mm -hmm. but um, not only that like the city's redesigned all the parks and they've added in new trains and an express train to the airport and they're building a new convention center and like so everything in toronto right now is really like upping its ante it's pretty beautiful like when i went out to toronto island and on the ferry and rented i rented bikes and i stayed in kensington market like it was a cool cultural experience like, yeah there is not that culture here it was very awesome it was a cool vacation yeah for sure yeah and i think like that's kind of the exciting thing right now is that people are starting to recognize that and mm. people are making it the highlight of their trip um whereas before they're like well we want to see niagara falls and we'll spend a day or two in toronto or something like that niagara falls is kind of boring like you look at it and you're like looking at it and you're like yeah oh it's like totally magnificent but for an hour and then you're like well now what you know we we, we (laughs) we had a room at the ramada on like the 22nd floor okay looking at the falls yeah and so we booked it we got into our hotel before i'd even as soon as i got up to, to to the room i'm staring at the falls and I was like, oh, it's great. And we hung out and we smoked a little and drank a little in the room. Sorry, Ramada, don't listen to this. Nah, I'm good now. <laughs> um, a, a bird almost flew in the goddamn window. That was terrifying. Anyways, uh, thank God for Sarah. She smacked the window closed and the bird hit the window. But we stared at the falls and, then I, and I, you know, I was, I was pretty quickly over niagara falls and then you get close to it and it's so cool how it's so loud on one side and then on the other side it's like almost quiet yeah but you're right beside it and you're like oh i can't see how epic it is and i didn't go on the maiden of the mist which i was a little upset about i kind of wanted to do it but i do enjoy that (laughs) yeah you've been on i've been i think two or three times like once when i was younger with my family and then another time with some co-workers and one other time with some friends awesome it's cool because you're like in the roar of the falls and they give you a poncho and it's just like but they pack you in right like they do i would suggest like go early or go late (laughs) because like come 10 o'clock to about three or four in the afternoon you get all the tour buses right if you get there like bright and early like 9 to 10 a.m before 10 then yeah it's not so busy 
And what fun can... is the maiden in the mist if I'm not drunk though? Well, then you can do the evening cruise. Oh, is that what? It's, like you know, I worry. I worry about the evening cruise. Do they run it in the winter? Because I bet nobody's no. there right now. It's uh, <laughs> I think this year it was like November thirty first or something was That's their the last cutoff? day. Okay, yeah. okay. It, it changes depending on how the season progresses, but around then we're gonna then have to throw a party in Niagara Falls, like a cannabis and wine dinner, because it's such a ridiculous city. The craziest thing to me was that there was no good food. No, it's all chains. It's terrible. I ate at TGI Fridays. I've never eaten at a TGI Fridays in my life. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I think it'll change slowly, but it kind of started as this like American motor vacation for families. And so I think what happened was like you have the falls and they're a draw, but then you've got these families, so you want something interesting for their kids to do. So they opened like... mini golf and and, yeah ripley's and haunted houses and so the main strip there called clifton hill it's like this gloriously tacky they have a red light district there Mm, no because you know niagara falls (laughs) would be a great amsterdam like they have casinos and stuff but i mean two casinos yeah Sarah won like 600 bucks at that casino. Oh, she crushed it. I don't have luck like that. <laughs> me, me, I literally, my first tattoo is a lucky tattoo. And I, and you know what? I feel like <laughs> I am super lucky. Have you been regretting it ever since? Or no? No, no, no. I, lo- I love that tattoo. But like I've never like, I feel like my luck, I got like different luck from it. Like I got really lucky that I figured out what I wanted to do and what I got stoked about. Mm. But I never wanted the casino. <laughs> That's like, what I always say to people. I'm like, I'm really fortunate. I've got a great life. I enjoy a lot of things. But it's not like dumb luck. It's not like no. I enter my draw and I want a car or something. I never... No, I, I mean, picked what I wanted to do years ago. And I started like eating shit to figure out the best way to make it work. And mm-hmm. then through that process, the idea got a little bit bigger and here we are yeah no people it's uh yeah instant gratification it's a really weird weird world if anybody thinks there's a, such a thing as an overnight success like by no means are uh i don't feel successful i feel like i'm life is good right now uh i enjoy what i'm doing but uh there's definitely yeah the cannabis sommelier wasn't overnight you know anybody that's like oh i want to make youtube videos but i can't it's like yeah i don't want to make youtube videos either but i do yeah and it takes up a lot of time and now i'm now we're doing podcasts and you know it's me that's going to edit the podcast and i'm going to put this all up and so uh there is no overnight success if you hear this is the first second third episode there was there was lots of hours put into this you know you didn't just come here uh out of nowhere you didn't just show up at the door it's Thank you so much for coming and chatting. But no, uh, problem. no overnight success is a joke. Instant gratification doesn't happen. Um, you got to work hard for what you want. Well, even people that are seemingly overnight successes, where like you know, all of a sudden they are a smaller actor and they become a star, or they have ten thousand Instagram followers and all of a sudden they end up with two million. Like these things happen, but it doesn't mean they didn't already put in a lot of work. 90. to get to that initial like average that, phase yeah and then they had to be doing all the right things without with the blind faith that hopefully it would work out they were consistent exactly here's what sets everybody apart and if you listen to this and i think you're trying to hustle or do whatever you want to do the the biggest thing that'll set you set you apart is being accountable like we talked about earlier and being consistent as long as you show up and you're consistently accountable you'll succeed in no matter what you want to do i think but i've been fired from more jobs than most people and i'm you know uh 
not very old so <laughs> um you know take my word for what it is well i haven't been fired yet so uh... no so yeah you should be <laughs> preaching this to everybody because i've been fired like 12 or 13 times Let's i don't talk... think i've had that many jobs oh shit i've had, <laughs> I've had so many jobs i can't even tell you how many jobs i've had and you know what the best part was is i got to work with a lot of shitty bosses and a lot of great bosses Mm -hmm. and it makes you realize like the kind of person you want to be what you aspire to be and where you want to be uh my first job was as a gymnastics coach really great job was competitive gymnast for long for most of my childhood uh and then i worked at subway and subway you know i went to the staff party at subway and those those were the first people to ever get me drunk and stoned you know i was 12 13 years old 13 years old oh dear grade eight grade nine maybe oh so i might have been 14 actually and they got me lit it was incredible like as soon as i sat down there my mom dropped me off me and my buddy peter wang like the most innocent chinese kid you'll ever meet and um yeah they started smoking joints in the living room and then they're giving us liquor and i was like oh this is incredible and peter wang dipped He's like 40 minutes in. He's like, oh, I can't be here. My yeah. parents are going to get me in so much trouble. And the I got... CEOs at Subway right now are probably like having a panic attack. <laughs> no, they're fr- these are franchisees, whatever. Okay. They paid me so good. I was, <laughs> I was 13, 14 years old and they were paying me 15 bucks an hour. They gave me unlimited food. Let me take home unlimited drinks. That's a good wage for that age. It's incredible. And you know yeah. what that made me want? It made, it made me want more because once you leave that job... And I kind of left over some like ridiculous stuff. Mm-hmm. I just went on vacation and this one lady got fired who made the schedule. And then I just never went back to work because I was like a kid and I didn't really care that much. I had had money and it was just a something that disappeared. But like, so I guess I never really got fired. I just kind of, it just kind of stopped yeah. happening. Subway, do I still work for you? Are you on the payroll am right I now? A, am I a sandwich artist? Like, why, where are my T4s at? I want stock options. I've been, a, I've been an employee for more than a decade now um but yeah and then oh man so many car industry jobs i was a plumber at one point never got fired from being a plumber but i hurt myself really bad uh worked in a bunch of restaurant jobs fired from drinking behind the bar because that's you know it happens if you're gonna if you're gonna be a a bartender like you end up drinking behind the bar it happens a lot i think like that's like a really gray area with restaurants where i mean obviously you need to be able to be composed and do your job successfully um but there's also rapport building right like it's just like i sell wine now yeah and how could i sell wine if i didn't taste wine with somebody totally right and like i mean you see a lot of bartenders in downtown toronto doing that with their their regulars like they're not necessarily getting totally wasted shot of jameson but like yeah they do yeah totally and it's always jameson <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> the totally uh, but yeah right and it's like you know they're gonna go to the bar next door if the bartender is gonna like entertain them better and i mean that's maybe something we address as an industry if you don't agree with it but it's uh it's a part of the reality of it that's okay that's the that's the service industry there's a guy that you want to hang out with there's there's a, there's a guy that you don't want to hang out with yeah and if you're if you're by yourself, you're by with your buddy. Like you know, there's there's only so many great bartenders. And yeah, it's hard to come across a great bartender. I feel like it's true. Um, I can't wait to start guest bartending at places. I'm starting to book like some cannabis cocktail oh, yeah. parties and stuff. I'm no. so pumped because I'm getting so much more into it. Oh, love it. It's a fun thing, right? Like I mean, 
being a bartender you always have to be on which is like the interesting thing about being in the yeah, service industry right you work in the wood you got to be slick you got to be yeah approachable yeah but uh i don't know you develop a personality and people expect to come see you and they get excited to see you and they want your recommendations and... regulars are yeah. the weirdest part of the bar industry mm-hmm. i didn't realize in both like good and bad ways <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy like you know it's different as a guy versus the women i worked with especially oh, at yeah. um you know a lot of guys would show up every day just to go talk to one specific girl where people would just show up every day just to drink with me mm. um or at original joe's there's a lot of just you know drunk yeah. regulars shoot the shit speak about sports yeah they don't it. they don't care what you're talking about they just want somebody to like interact with and they want yeah. to get loaded and then they want to go home and it's usually in their car which is the saddest part that's but not good there's only so much you can say or do there's it's one interesting thing every time people come and visit alberta there's like a really big drinking culture here yeah um and love it or hate it it's just it's just one of those things we're super strict in ontario about that because like the restaurant restaurants are liable so if you overserved someone and they didn't get home safe then you're basically on the hook so you're only 25 percent on the hook in alberta oh really yeah. yeah for us it's like it's it's pretty scary like you got to be careful but i understand which is that. good um because i mean I serve people cannabis, and that's one of the hardest things that I'm concerned about when we talked about cannabis cocktails earlier is I'm always worried about my duty of care, right? Yeah. Like how do I make sure that you're not overly intoxicated? Yeah. And that's that's why I like to let people have puffs and why I'm going to serve essential oils as an aperitif and digestif now because I want to see how intoxicated you become. And when you inhale cannabis, especially essential oils, within three minutes, I can see exactly how intoxicated you are. Mm. 10 minutes you know there's there is absolutely a definitive answer yeah so um yeah it, it it's always hard to think about your duty of care and where where your where your line ends because a lot of the time like people don't care they're more than willing to serve you multiple bottles of wine but they're never going to ask even though they they should how you're yeah. how you're going to get home and it's 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 it, it's always a hard thought now you you well you're down at my house right now i live in the middle of nowhere almost in calgary like i'm two minutes from the city limit you're gonna go south to lethbridge and it's straight shot out um it costs a lot of money to get downtown and i'm not admitting to drunk driving by any means but it's a long it's 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 a long cab ride um from downtown to here yeah so well that's something i like take for granted living downtown is that almost anywhere i go out i can spend like twelve dollars or less on an uber to get home and so i would never dream about drinking and driving because like it wouldn't even be close to worth it nor would i have probably paid for the, the parking cost more than the cab downtown right. so it's just like i would never i almost never drive in the city see that makes so. way more sense and for, yeah. when i lived downtown in calgary i didn't own a car i stopped yeah. I just rode my bike everywhere and in the winter it's you know i'll, I'll take a smart car or i'll uber mm-hmm. um that's not a reality living out in the boonies which is it, it's it's kind of the trade-off you know you can have space to have a podcast studio or you can live downtown and uh not admitting to drunk driving <laughs> never drunk drive home there you go <laughs> yeah well 
this is in no way condoning it, but I mean, there are, everyone knows their limit, and so I mean, you just got to be careful. Well, it's point zero five in Alberta. Yeah, <laughs> you can't breathalyze yourself, right? Fuck so yeah, I mean, you if can. you're point zero five or point zero five one or point zero four nine, I mean, like how you feel is right. a much more subjective brush. But then, interestingly, so like I'm a medicinal cannabis consumer. Yeah, I have an eight gram a day license. I'm going to consume my, my medicine. Yeah, but uh, now you can't drive within X amount of hours or whichever, right? The day Health Canada sends a pamphlet with your medicinal cannabis, and it says uh, it's at the discretion of the officer if you're impaired or not, mm. which I understand because if I was taking anything else, cough medicine, you know, it's at yeah. the discretion of the officer. But now it's kind of a hard compound thing. If I have a beer and I've consumed my prescription medicine yeah am i a criminal well criminal I, might not be the best term but i mean you might be i might go to jail yeah the thing you you really because this there's self-safety and then there's the fact that you're on an open road where anyone else could be on it right right and i, think and I would never get behind a wheel if i thought i was gonna hurt myself or somebody else yeah and I need, but but the interesting idea is that I might need my medicine mm. to feel safe that way. Mm. You know, if somebody's consuming cannabis for anxiety, yeah. Imagine somebody gets prescribed cannabis for their driving anxiety, uh -huh. and then you tell them that they're impaired because they consume cannabis before driving. I don't know. Back to the s stupid semantics of legalization. Yeah. Then you're like, oh, I guess I'll never drive again. <laughs> yeah, it looks like I'm taking Uber. You, honestly, if it was up to me, I would love to have a driver all the time. At, yeah. At some point, I will, I'll make content 24-7, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll just have a driver. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of big cities and transit systems and all these things, right? Like, even in Toronto, I think North America has this love of the automobile, but honestly, like... You get stuck in traffic, you waste a lot of time, it's expensive, there's insurance, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't da-da-da. Like, I just don't know why people are so married to their cars. Because like, you used to be able to drink, smoke, and fuck in your car while you sat in traffic. I suppose. The but 1950s were awesome. Do you know that? Fuck <laughs> yeah. Ask, yeah. Ask anybody's dad. They finally started making money again. Everybody had a new car. Everybody was getting drunk uh but i think that's the problem is like we're kind of stuck like yeah, in stuck in this idea that oh that was so romantic that was so cool i want to do this my freedom having a car it's like mm, it's kind of like being house poor sometimes where it's like there's a freedom but there's also all the consequences and so how do you solve the problem um, sitting here like as we sit at this house how do i solve the problem of me having a car I mean, it's really tough here because you're in Calgary, and like, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm honest. Funny. Like the the transit system here is it sucks pretty junk. Like and it's real cold, and it's really oh, and that's far the stretched. thing. Like even in Toronto, like I mean, in the summer, if something happens and the streetcar is not running or it's delayed, oh, there's a streetcar that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, okay, I walk forty minutes to get home on a summer night, no big deal, or I Uber or taxi or whatever. Right. Um, but if it's like negative forty and you're freezing, you're not gonna walk home because no, you're, you're gonna die if you do. It yeah. sucks. I've been there. I've walked home in the middle of the yeah. cold winter night and been like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, and so your options like pay a bunch of money for a cab or drive your car or drive your car and like but that's like where 
I want to see cities, it's not that cities are responsible, but I think cities should be, as they get bigger, investing more in public transit. And then citizens need to use that transit. Uh, well, yeah, that's the hard thing. They have to, if every citizen, if everybody who spent 50 grand on a car every year, 100 grand on a car every year, was putting that money back into transit, and I don't know if you've seen Elon Musk's idea with the underground thing. Oh, it looks magical. Thing. Yeah. It, so Calgary Transit is all ab- above ground. It's right on ground level, runs parallel to all the streets. Mm-hmm. Such a terrible idea. Creates congestion in the traffic having a train. What a stupid idea. Everywhere else in the world put it underground. But now we don't reach any outlying areas. The GTA, uh, the Toronto Transit, it's great because they go to like two and a half hours out of the city now. Right? Yeah. Like they're really going far to service those uh, areas that weren't able to get there before were inaccessible. Whereas Calgary, they're, you know, I'm not far from a train station but i'm still 15 minutes from a train station Mm -hmm. 12 minutes from a train station like what good is that if there was interconnected underground networks that met at a central point like the new york system or the chicago system ran and i could go in all these different directions yeah i definitely do think you could solve a lot of traffic issues because it gets getting fucking bad here well the irony is that people even in Toronto, but like here even more so, like they're like, oh, it's so expensive to invest in these projects to dig underground. It's like, yeah, but we're in like the prairie with no major water sources and anything. Like it's the easiest place to dig in. Yeah, it might be hard clay, but like if you make the right tool. Yeah. But again, it's like making sure if you're going to invest $50 million or more into this project that you're your oh it's probably like a hundred billion dollar project whatever but then people need to come and use this system if you build it they will come it's true it's true right if you have it they'll use it i think uh i think the collusion the other tough thing i would i'm just gonna pitch this in there but like i mean with conservative politics prevailing a lot in in alberta Mm -hmm. you get a lot of people who are always we're an ndp government bro well right now yeah (laughs) but i mean there's this idea that people like well you know i want to this kind of financially conservative plan and so it's it's pretty tough to keep the money in the hands of albertans exactly right but i think it's like anything you know what you know people they buy a mortgage they finance a car they do this it's like Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just miraculously save up enough money sometimes to do everything. So you have to go into a bit of a deficit and invest in some of these long-term projects. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you're 50 now, it may never benefit you, but... I think it will. Mm, I if guess. You, if you're 50, you got like, what, 30 more years, 20 more years? <clears throat> totally worth it. Spend your money. Don't die with it, old man. But Well, and that's just it. And so I'm like, with these infrastructure projects, they're kind of unpopular because we're like oh we're going to spend a ton of money it's probably going to be a pain in the ass because it's going to be making a mess and things going on downtown in the city and right and the generational and... wealth is kind of gone yeah you know, like i'm not getting any money it's kind of like uh dude's parents immigrated built something the next guy either he made it or almost made it or his next guy really made it that's like your grandfather mm-hmm. and then your your dad or his dad pissed away most of the money and now we're back to square one where instant gratification is the yeah name of the game and it's like oh why don't why doesn't it all work and nobody realizes that uh 
great great granddad in 1850 like literally ate shit and was a potato farmer and because he stumbled across a great idea and like gave everything in his life to it yeah the internet blows my mind i know and it's like i want both things right like i want great things now but i do have to recognize that like you know rome wasn't built in a day calgary's not going to be built in a day yeah and so takes forever it always takes forever right like i mean even when i was in ecuador teaching that was almost seven or so years ago Mm -hmm. i was there this past april uh to meet up with some friends and you know they had started working on a subway line in quito it's still not ready but it's (laughs) almost ready ecuador speed hey but i mean like you know you're burrowing through mountains you gotta do this there's politics but it's still gonna be worth it even if it takes a decade yeah when it's done that's just it and you know like it sucks for those quiteños living there for 10 years and it's still like still being dug and it's a pain and it's like oh my road's blocked because they're bringing construction vehicles in here but when that thing finally opens and like people get to use it it's gonna be amazing so man i want you so badly to start a youtube channel this summer with like this season of uh your new world wine tours and i'd love to just see like you know, it would have been cool to see for like the last four years every summer and like the up and down and going back to work, whatever. Because mm-hmm. uh, because I, I know it's going to be super successful because if you build it, they will come, right? As long as you're consistent and accountable and it'll be crazy to see. I have a really good feeling that this summer is going to be the summer that everything like explodes. You know, all the all the ducks are in their row. It's 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 ready to go. And I, I would love to see you doing it every day, filming, taking people to those wineries even seeing the progress of the grapes, the different people visiting you. Like, I think that's such great uh, stuff. I love wine. I love what other people have to say about wine. So Hmm. I'll be working on it. (laughs) Do it, man. Get the DJI Osmo mobile. Is that the thing? I got one for Christmas. It's pretty cool. Okay. It's like a gimbal. You could just walk with it. You could take it anywhere on any tour and you just, uh, you look like you're a pro. And you know, I th- I love I love the idea of vlogs. I love the idea of seeing people grow because again, instant gratification. Everybody thinks it just happens. Yeah. And it's cool to see the plight. This is what I'm really liking about the idea of the podcast is um with my YouTube channel, you only get to see like ten percent of my actual personality. Most of it's just curated. Me. Yeah, I'm of. tasting wine. Um I'm doing I'm doing cannabis tastings. And I get to make like a few jokes or give you a little bit of my personal life here and there. But the podcast is like a long, you know, whatever, two hours, three hours of, <laughs> of, of us talking. And, and, and after a hundred episodes, like I think people are really going to understand yeah, who, who I are, am. And, and it's if, almost like a diary too, right? Like you can go back and be like, oh, that was me like hundred episodes ago or like no know. fucking way i'm gonna go back and listen to myself for three hours i can promise you that and then how can you expect other people to listen because i think because <laughs> i think there might be good insight i think there's you know it sounds ridiculous i love gary vaynerchuk i say this all the time yeah um there's <clears throat> a lot of lazy people like i'm lazy i love being lazy laziness is like inherently human mm. um and people want to listen to this conversation and do absolutely nothing and take little pieces of it and they might feel inspired Hmm. or um you know they might just enjoy our conversation because they like wine or they like cannabis or they like the industry 
Um, but they're still going to sit there and waste their time listening to it. And that, and, and you know, it's not a bad thing. Like people are always going to consume content. I watch a lot of TV. Yeah. I want to make TV shows because I watch thousands of hours of TV every year. I feel like I waste so much time staying up late night mm. and it's, uh, and I know I should be like working or doing whatever I've always been doing music or yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But I love being lazy. I love spreading out and doing nothing well i mean like everyone needs to recharge and on top of that i think it's tough to want to work when you could not work right like i often talk about vines like this like vines the best wine comes from areas where they've like given the worst soils and the vines have to work the hardest they're stretching and they're stressing exactly right and i think it's the same with people like if you give every a person like money and food and a comfortable place to live it's like yeah like what on earth would compel you to do more when you've basically got everything you want adversity Uh, fuels it exactly right and so i think that's like the tough thing you know for you or for me like if everything's going pretty well on one hand you're like oh i just want to like chill and have fun and and but that's also a vital part of of being human is like what do you want the most do you want to just like be able to chill and have fun and do something you love or is it about uh like meeting an end goal um i mean it's it's less of like a singular end goal and more of a um well a it's like a progression i don't even know what's going to happen in 10 years and so for me it's like an exciting discovery what about two years like this summer might be crazy we're mm. talking about cannabis tourism yeah you have a built tourism company and there's this massive new market how do we figure out how to like well, we can't talk about it on here, but uh, how do we figure out how to have a have a have a limousine or whatever your your service is, um, mm. where the driver has no chance of becoming intoxicated, and you can actually let people consume cannabis in the vehicle? Yeah, I mean that's something that can that's a game be changer. done. I think as long as you have like the right setup, right vehicles, that kind of stuff. That's so. a game changer. It is. It is. So. Greyhound went out of business. Yeah, that's bizarre to me. I mean, that's I not bizarre to me. When was the last time you took a Greyhound bus? Well, that's true. <laughs> but think about how the Cannabus. I'd love to do buy <clears throat> angel investor. Shout out. Come, come, give me like hundreds of millions of dollars. Hey Gary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're gonna buy all the Greyhounds. We're gonna turn them into Cannabuses. We're gonna take all the Greyhound stations. We're gonna turn them all into dispensaries. There's a dream. There you go. And for whoever steals that idea, it's on podcast, motherfucker copyrighted it copyrighted intellectual property (laughs) when we go back to this and i challenge you on it i'm gonna win because i said it here first but i'm okay with you giving me 12 percent of annual earnings said it here first there you go (laughs) Um, yeah for me it's like this idea of um it's it's more of like freedom and lifestyle right right? because you love wine because I love wine. So for me, I enjoy it. I enjoy the work. But on top of that, like, I mean, I like to travel on the side. I like to do certain things. And I think what I've always kind of been turned off by in the nine to five work world is that there's just so little flexibility. And especially here in North America, like, if you are working in Europe, you might get a month or two of vacation a year. And like, your boss and your colleagues all believe you deserve it here i meet people even incredibly wealthy people and they're like 
proud to have not taken their two weeks vacation because they're working hard. It's like, cool. Like, you're working every single day, every single month for five years. You didn't take a vacation. I don't understand why you're so proud of that. If you could do your job every day, like, would would you do wine tours every day? I mean, I enjoy it, but if you gave me the chance to, like... But take... you kind of diversified yourself, right? Like, yeah. you have the opportunity that you can go walk around do a food tour one day. Yeah. And then the next day you drive out to Niagara. Yeah, and that's part of the beauty of that is, like, you don't get this routine repetition of what you're doing on your day-to-day work life. Uh, but no, like, if I could take every, like, third week and go on vacation, for sure I would. I think everybody would. Right? Like, you've got to be crazy to not do that. But to, but to not take your two weeks and work yeah hard that like not take your two weeks for somebody else i don't understand it no that's that but you know what i guess it's a hard idea because you can be rich being the number six person at a company the number 20 person at a company the number 100 person like being rich you know how few people make a hundred thousand dollars a year and very every, few and people are focused on making a million bucks yeah like that to me is astonishing yeah but that's what I want, right? It's like I want this life-work balance because if you can, again, if you could make a million bucks for five years and save some of that for retirement, mm-hmm. then great. But if you're never going to, you know, get over that earning point of, you know, 80 or 100,000 and you work every day so hard. But that's a rich person. It is a rich Depending person. Depending on the lifestyle you live. But I think that's just it. It's like you need... And it doesn't mean my lifestyle's uh, better or worse than another one. No, it's no, no. It's just what I want. But as mental health becomes a big issue, that's right? That's my concern, yeah. Yeah, there, things, are, things are different. It's not like... People don't use their big-ass house. My parents have a huge house. None of us live... Like, I have three sisters. None of us live in the house anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh they don't need their and how many people like how often would they have people over that would utilize the full home never i don't even think anybody like you know the my sisters stay there at christmas uh but it's no they don't they don't need it at all yeah and if they yeah they could live in a a way smaller house and have so much more wealth and be literally richer but there's these extra i feel like there's a lot of social expectations yeah um just surrounding like what you should have and what makes you actually happy and you know what bills big bills don't make me happy me either not using (laughs) not using my house doesn't make me happy like i spend a lot of time at home Mm -hmm. and i'm comfortable here would i like it to be bigger hell yeah does it need to be bigger no right i think that's what you got to tell yourself it's like you're like, well, is it really worth it? I don't know. Yeah, at what point? At what point? You know, I, I, you've never, you haven't seen my car, but I drive a 2002 Civic. That's like, you got a huge dent. It got smoked, hit and run last year. Oh, that's. And sucks. I think about it all the time. I'm like, I should buy a new car, right now. Buy any car. I went and looked at a bunch of cars, um, and I didn't buy one because I didn't want to. It like it like it almost killed me. I was like, "Who am I trying to impress by buying this thirty five thousand dollar car?" Yeah, because on one hand, I mean, there's certain things you need to do to conduct business, and so like for me, I need a pretty nice car so people are comfortable. Yours in it. is important. Yeah, you drive people around. Yeah, but if I didn't, yeah, I'd probably buy like a 
like maybe something like a Fiat or a Mini that's like easy to park downtown. And like... He's a tall guy. That's <laughs> kind of funny that he said that. I always wanted a Mini. Oh man, I hate parking my beast of an SUV downtown though. My it's Civic's crazy. awesome. Right? Yeah. I park it everywhere. It's so quick. It's so easy. There's parts where I couldn't get into. No, we're, and the, right? we're in truck country here. Like exactly. if I buy a new car, I was like, I'm going to buy an SUV or a truck. I don't want a truck at all. <laughs> God. No, social expectations are are crazy. But yeah, eat a little bit more shit, invest a little bit more in your business, be a little bit happier. Yes. But if it means not taking a vacation for a bunch of years, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that actually. I mean, it's it's something I've looked at, right? I'm like, well, I'm not going to travel as much for these next few years because I need to put priority somewhere else. But it's still one of those things where, you know, three or five years, years down the road, it's like, I'm hoping to see some good results because if I don't, then you're like, why well, I, I sacrificed a part of my life I was already enjoying. Well, it's interesting. Like, I don't think you that, you know, uh, you could piss away five years right now. Where would it leave you? Like, 35, 33, yeah. like, yeah. fucking in the exact same position that every schmo who worked a $60,000, $80,000 a year job just did built a family, never has any failure success story. Mm-hmm. I love it when people say like, you know, go look at regret in old people's eyes. It's like, you know what I would regret? Not failing. Well, that's what I'm trying to avoid is regret, right? Like, I mean, failing is fine if you learn from it, but... Um, What's 10 grand worth, right? What's 100 grand worth? Yeah, well, and that's what I think of with a lot of stuff. Like, you know, if you invest in something or even like advertising you know like as a young business you're like oh do we try we put ourselves in this guidebook or do we you put ourselves in this instagram thing? advertising earlier today. yeah right and so you're like okay i think of it you say these like this thousand dollars that you put into something i mean it's it's part education it might bring you some success but maybe you'll do it a different way or not at all in the future so it's it's just kind of this matter of of learning like educated learning right like testing the waters and and yeah but yeah no building an online business is uh it's definitely it's definitely different where do you spend your money how much instagram money do you spend how much facebook money do you spend do you get a lot of customers from uh facebook instagram Mm. social networks are most of your customers organic like how are you how are you getting your acquisition to customers right now it's a mix like there's organic um there's a lot of like reselling through bigger websites like TripAdvisor and their sister sites and that kind of thing okay um how big are your instagrams now do they have like are they like 1500 followers yeah 1500 to 2000 so like not bad for like a local business yeah um but the interesting thing is like i think the food tours lend themselves to a younger like instagram generation but the wine tours are a little they're like older yeah. demographic a little more like high-end and they're not necessarily on instagram so how much is a wine tour versus a food tour mm, it all depends what it is but like because we generally are doing boutique tours meaning like you know for the most part it's like two to six people mm-hmm. uh we do bigger groups but upon group booking yeah because you need a bigger vehicle because you yeah. just run one limousine yeah type service yeah and the concept is definitely like boutique higher end luxury type idea where you know you and two other couples get to spend the day with a sommelier or a wine expert going to like small vineyards that are off the beaten path so it's not like you're getting on a bus with 60 people and they're like 
here trace this you know yeah because there are those wine tours in niagara if you if, if you're listening you're not familiar with wine tours there's uh there's a plethora a breadth of wine tours and there's ones where you can get on a bus and it costs you 25 dollars on groupon and they take you to 40 creek distillery and they take you to a bunch of places and you drink as much liquor as you can as quick as you can and it's not about drinking wine it's not sexy drinking it's getting drunk mm-hmm. um and then there's other tours like the tour you operate where you're picked up in a limousine service and you know it's an informed educated host uh where that's really going to curate your experience but there's definitely a difference in customer and a difference in price i could yeah you know like on the wine tour i went on i think i paid i think we paid close to five or six hundred dollars um for the two of us it was probably six i think it was six hundred dollars okay. like that's pretty similar to what you'd pay for what we're doing in new world wine tours yeah. that includes all the wine lunch pickup from the city driving down back and everything and you're guaranteed the small group experience um, guaranteed no more than six people yeah see that's awesome that's a nice thing to know because the van i got picked up in probably would have had 10 or 12 if mm-hmm. it wasn't a wednesday yeah and then like you know if you're a company or you're running you're doing a bachelorette party or something we can accommodate bigger mm-hmm. but if you're just a couple booking in for the day six is the max basically in one vehicle yeah so totally. it's gonna always have that really nice feel to it yeah um, and for a thousand bucks you would probably do a solo day or would you or would you yeah do? yeah we would do like lots of private stuff too so um because that's really that would be a really nice opportunity for me i liked i just like the idea of having a driver for the day yeah and we'll like i mean we work with some concierges at bigger hotels and so you get people who you know for them it's not about the money so much as the experience and maybe their time is really limited or whichever and so for them it's like yo we want it's just me or just me and my wife or just me and my husband mm-hmm. or us three or whatever. And, you know, they want the best possible experience for that day. And so... How do I book this again? Go to newworldwinetours.com. Um, we've got our calendar live there so you can book right online and uh, or send us an email if you want something special. Yeah, you're probably seeing bookings coming in right now because this is kind of the season where everybody starts. I guess after Christmas, everybody's like, oh... Now it's time to figure out what I'm going to do. Yeah, a lot of people start planning for like spring, summer, that kind of stuff. Wine so. season gets booked up crazy. People it don't, does. People don't realize it. Canada's emerging. Uh, I heard the Okanagan's like the, like Napa Valley. The place I used to stay at for 200 bucks a night is now like 700 bucks a night. Well, in like Prince Edward County too, like Niagara also gets booked out, but Ni- Niagara's got a few more hotels and stuff you can stay in. Prince Edward County is a very small area in terms of... Super quaint. Yeah. It's a small little like village. It's not even a town. I yeah. Think. And so it's like super cute and it's getting really popular and there's very few hotels. So you'll get people who are like, we want to go this weekend. We're like, yeah, if you can find a hotel. Yeah, or there's if a you, bed like, and breakfast that you might be able to get into for like 700 bucks. Yeah, it's getting kind of crazy. But I mean, Airbnb's there and other things you can do but yeah it's it's interesting because yeah it's that might be a cool fast of your business if you could if you could buy uh there's enough money to buy a property down there yeah maybe one day <laughs> yeah i know they're, they're becoming more and more expensive oh the real estate in ontario is nuts so yeah that's brutal especially in those cool places yeah especially in those cool places i mean it's still better than toronto comparatively but uh yeah, on that expensive note, I think I'm going to let you go. I kept you a little bit longer than I thought. You're going to... That's okay. It's dr- been a joy, so... Yeah, I love chatting with you. To chat again in, you know, uh, a year down the road on the podcast. I'd love to hear how the summer season went. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be 
really cool. Hopefully you come back to, to Alberta to visit your family uh, yes, next holiday season. I most likely will. So Okay, awesome. Well, let's, I think we should cheers before we leave. We'll cheers. Just, cheers the wine. Thank you. And uh, thanks for coming on Beers with Buds. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We'll catch up for another episode. We'll have another bud on, and uh, we'll have some beers and chat about life. Till then, cheers. Cheers.